Welcome to Skywave Audio Theater. I'm Norman Gilliland. It's a venerable plot. Shakespeare called his version of it The Taming of the Shrew. When Paladin takes a job in Abilene to help out an old friend, the story is called Ella West. And there are some rough-edged women in the American West today, and certainly were then, too. You'll hear a couple of legendary names mentioned as Paladin rides out to put some polish on a certain sharp-shooting, tough-talking celebrity of the day. From December 7, 1958, this is Have Gun, Will Travel with Ella West. I promised I'd avoid a gunfight if possible. But it looks as though it isn't possible. I have one bullet left. You may draw when you're ready. Have Gun, Will Travel. Starring Mr. John Daner as Paladin. San Francisco, 1875. The Carlton Hotel. Headquarters of the man called Paladin. <laughs> Go on, Mr. Paladin. Well, at 7 o'clock, we could have champagne in the lounge. Mm -hmm. At 8 o'clock, dinner at the Peacock, something special. Oh, I'm intrigued, Mr. Paladin. And uh, then? A coach ride to Barnaby's, for crepe Suzette is only Barnaby prepares a crepe mm. Suzette. And after that... A liqueur back here by the fire in the lounge. No. Then... What? Uh, no. Oh, hey, boy. Who is this? Uh, me, number one for Mr. Paladin. Sorry, lady. No champagne. No peacock. No creepy Suzettes. No liquors tonight. Wire come. You go. I know. You already packed. Wire? Here. Bad news, Mr. Paladin? Ah, uh, dear lady, forgive me. Hey, boy. Send an answer to Tom Carter, Abilene. Just say... Have gun, will travel. It's no surprise to anybody that the attractive and inexpensive new radios have proved popular. It's no surprise that is to anyone who listens to CBS radio. With so much in the way of music, comedy, drama, variety, and news coming your way every day on CBS radio, more than one radio around the house is more than a convenience. It's almost a necessity for anyone who has a daily routine. The man of the house wants to come home to an attractive home and an attractive wife. But household chores in themselves are rarely inspirational. The smart homemaker is one who refuses to let her regular responsibilities get her down. She gets her work done every day, but she gets her entertainment in too. She has a radio in the kitchen as well as the living room. Chances are she has a portable radio as well to follow her from one task to another around the house. She knows why the inexpensive new radios are so popular. And, what's more, she knows the value of CBS radio, too. Here you are. Your bag, your saddle, and your gear. This is your hotel right here. Now what's that? Oh, folks from the Wild West show hold up in town right now. <laughs> Most likely Ella West. Ella West, huh? Yeah. 
the star attraction at Tomahawk Carter's Wild West show. It was kind of frisky at times. Uh, wouldn't go into the lobby by the front way if I was you. You wouldn't? Huh? Not with Alec cutting up before breakfast. <laughs> she just might take it into her mind to shoot them buttons off in that fancy vest you're wearing. <laughs> well, I'll chance it. <laughs> well, just, uh, just friendly advice, brother. I'd like a room, please. Uh, uh, what? A room. Oh. My name is Paladin. Oh, yeah, well, just a minute. Uh, now, hold on, Ella. Fun's fun, but enough. Oh! Traitor, you can jump, too. Ella! And that fancy vest. You speaking to me? No one else, Ranger. You don't need a room, boys. He needs a cage. I might even buy you a lemon squash later on, fancy pants. I'd prefer whiskey if I felt like drinking, which I don't. Say, you know who you're talking to? I do. I'm Ella West. And I can out-shoot, out-ride, and out-cuss any man here. I can out-drink you, I can out-chew you, and I can out-spit you. Possibly. Hey, Ella, there's Tracy Calvert. Tracy, where? Hi, Tracy. Now, you gonna let Ella take over your spot in the show? Huh? Morning, Ella. I didn't see you come in, Tracy. Why don't you answer Breed's question? Well, I... I just might take your spot. For two cents, I'd run you out of town, pony boy. Don't cut your price for me, Ella. Why, you... Break it up now, folks. Break it up. Drinks around Tomahawk Carter. Everybody. I want to talk to you, Ella. You too, Tracy. That squabbling's got to stop. You find me in the bar. Come on, Bree. What's your thing, Ella? Come on. Yeah, what was it this time, Tracy? The same thing it always is, Mr. Carter. Well, wrap me in buffalo hide, paladin. <laughs> Hello, Tom. Hello. Oh, you're a sight in well, them It's a real sight. Oh. Yes, sir. Tracy, is Mr. Paladin. He knew me way back when I was making an honest living. <laughs> Tracy Calvert. I've seen you ride, Mr. Calvert. Laramie, Wyoming, 71, when you took the grand prize. I had a lucky day, Mr. Paladin. Uh, we got power to make. Well, I'll run along, Mr. Carter. No, no, you stick here, Tracy. I got bad trouble, and I want you to handle it, Paladin. Save your money, Tom. I never saw a man you couldn't handle. It ain't a man. That little gal I want gentle tonight. Tom, there's one wild thing man will never civilize. Woman. And if you mean that one, I'm afraid there'll be no pleasure in failing. That little gal in there happens to be Ella West. 24 years old, she's already more of a name than Calamity Jane, Cimarron, Rose, and Bell Star lumped together. I got her in my show, and I got damaged bills to prove it. And I'm going to lose my shirt even before I get my show together if something ain't done. And you'll lose more when you get on the road. There's a million people want to see Ella West, Mr. Paladin. Darling of the frontier, heart of gold, yes, I've seen the write-up. She's fast with a gun, and she can ride like a Comanche. She has to be more than that. Ella West is a legend, Tom, a romantic illusion. Your audience will expect you to bring it to life. That's right. And instead, you'll produce a repugnant, grimy-faced, loud-mouthed little shrew. Well, I don't figure Ella's as bad as all that, Mr. Paladin. Oh, how long have you known her? She joined the show last month. Well, my question was, how long have you known her, Mr. Calvert? 
If you don't mind, I'll look in on the stock. Tracy and Ella was raised in the same part of the country. Learned shooting and riding together. Let him tame her. He seems to have a personal interest. Now, doggone it, we're old Tom, friends. Tom, you're talking about making a show horse out of a wild, mean-tempered colt. Now, that takes more than taming. It means crushing its spirit, rebuilding it from the ground up. With a horse, the odds are ten to one for failure. Yeah, I guess I knew it wasn't any use all along. I could have made a fortune with her. That's why I want 10% of the entire season's gate if I succeed. You ain't changed, have you? I hope that's a compliment. <laughs> it ain't never stealing to ask what you're worth. This here's Mr. Paladinella. Oh, fancy pants. He come here to learn you some things. <laughs> you ain't gonna learn me nothing. Correct. My function is to teach. You will do the learning. I quit. Fair off time. She just resigned. Wait just a blasted minute here. If anyone gets runned off, it's gonna be him. <laughs> Go along, Tom. I'll talk to you later. I'll be in the saloon. Now then. Sit down, Miss West. <laughs> Mind if I smoke? No. Go ahead. Try lighting that cigar now, fancy pants. That will be two deductions from your wages, the cost of the cigar and the bullet damage. You're kind of a cool one, fancy pants, but you ain't gonna make no lady out of me. First, you're not worth two cents to the show as a lady, and second, that would be impossible in the first place. Why, you... <laughs> you took my gun! It'll be less noisy that way. Now, sit down, please. Better. Although your audiences will expect you to be somewhat different from the average woman, they will expect certain fundamental manners. The essence of showmanship is to be different without being obnoxious. You're a lily-livered, fancy-talking dude. I'll run you out of town by morning. I believe you made the same ridiculous threat to Tracy Calvert. Him too. Tracy said anything to you about me, I'll kill him. <laughs> There's a ring of honesty in that threat, Miss West. However, he said nothing. I was merely speculating. Are we ready? You've got something to learn me. I mean, teach me, then get on with it. But keep your nose pulled in, dude. Incorrect. 
Yeah. I gotta eat, don't I? You don't reach with a fork and spear a slice of bread. You pick it up with now, your hand. Now, just a minute. And you never speak with your mouth full. Now, it's one thing to act homespun. It's quite another. Breed! To... You wearing a gun, dude. It's quite another to create revulsion. I suggest you confine your idiosyncrasies to calling the food littles and complaining over the last of buffaloes. I asked you a stuff. question, dude. I heard you. Because if you ain't got a gun, you better get one. I'm going to teach you some manners. Drop it. Ellie, you've been tied to this dude for two days. Now, you like it or something? I'm going along because there's money in it. You know an easier way, Breed? Yeah. All right, Ellen. You say the word when you need me. Mr. Breed seems to resent me almost as much as you do. I can handle Breed for you, dude. No need, Miss West. When the time comes, I'll handle him myself. Remember, just pretend I'm a newspaper reporter. Get on with it. <clears throat> Another question, miss. Tell us about your parents. My old man was a stinking drunk, and the old lady was worse. She was always... You are talking to reporters. Well, then let him make it up like they've been doing all along. <clears throat> Mention the homestead. Homestead? It was a stinking sow pen. You can ask Tracy Calvert. He... It was so bad you couldn't believe it. I'm sorry. You wouldn't feel so blasted up if you got rud up like that. You knew Tracy Calvert then? Oh, yeah. I knew him. We was kids then. His daddy had a nice spread of land. You should have seen Tracy's house. All painted inside and out with a fence around it. And Tracy's mall starched up and nice. She gave me a dress once. My old lady traded it for some whiskey. Now, oh, Tracy'd have laughed if he'd ever seen me wearing it anyhow. I think I understand. What? About you, Tracy Calvert. Do you? Yeah, maybe you do it that. You're kind of a strange one yourself. I didn't know real men came in fancy pants. What I mean is, we ain't doing so bad, are we? I don't know. He's sort of like you. Everything I wasn't, Tracy wasn't. Everything I didn't have, he did. When he was real little, his mom let me stay one night. She come in and pulled the cover up and kissed me. I was 16 and he was 18 when they was going to move away. Maybe he wasn't growed up yet, but I was. I was growed up plenty. I didn't ask Tracy to marry me, just take me with him. I'd do anything if he would. He could cut me up into little pieces if he wanted to. Just take me. I never said the same thing since, but I'm saying it to you. I, I ain't what folks think. No man's never touched me. You take me with you when you go back to San Francisco. I wouldn't be afraid with you. Maybe just kiss my cheek and say something nice. I don't want to be in no show, printed in no paper. I, I just want somebody to know I'm alive. Please. No. What's the matter? Look at yourself. You're still that grimy 16-year-old kid pretending she's a man. You don't compete with women because you're afraid to. Paladin. Find a man who wants the smell of the stables and ask him to take you away. Reed wants me. Then you and Mr. Breed deserve each other. And he can have me just as soon as he kills you! Do you see speed laws and other regulations as restrictive? Or do you look upon them as protective? When a police officer writes a summons for traffic violations, do you see him as an enemy or a friend. 
your life may depend on your attitudes. Statistics clearly indicate that where laws are obeyed, deaths go down. It's no secret that emotional immaturity is the major factor in our accident rate. How else but childish can you describe the notion that breaking a traffic regulation is a way of getting away with something? What could be more infantile than believing one can prove his superiority by ignoring a stoplight? Unfortunately, too many drivers on the road subscribe to that kind of emotional outlook. The result is tragic. Almost 85% of all traffic accidents in America are caused by careless, childish driving. We hope you know our traffic laws and the people who enforce them are there to help save your life. He's a nasty one, Mr. Paladin. Come along if you like. Good afternoon, Ella. I heard you wanted to see me, Mr. Breed. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I didn't recognize you first, wearing them big boys' clothes. <laughs> You're carrying your play-acting too far this time, Ella. Play-acting? I've shot men for less. That's kid talking. We aren't kids anymore. Shut up, Tracy! You heard the lady, Tracy. Shut up and get out. Me and Fancy Pants gonna settle something. I changed my mind, Breed. I don't want no killing. Uh-uh, honey, we made a bargain. You're gonna keep it all the way. Tracy, take her to one side. You, barkeep, pour five shots and set them up in a line. Yes, sir. What's this? I promised Tom Carter I'd avoid a gunfight if possible. <laughs> oh, you ain't got no choice, Fancy Pants. All poured? Yes, sir. Good. Now then, Mr. Breed, I have one bullet left. Please, draw whenever you're ready. Well, I... Are you going to draw? I didn't... If you aren't going to draw, I suggest that you find Tom Carter, hand in your resignation, and start traveling. Now. Lessons continue at 7, Miss West, in my room. Please be on time. Well. I got myself some female clothes. Cost more than genuine buckskin. Took a bath, too. Well, come in. Tracy Calvert's right. If I ain't a woman, I ain't nothing. I'll go if you want me to. You look very nice, Miss Wood. Well, you don't have to say that. It happens to be true. You come off surprisingly womanly in a dress. The store sold me a lot of lashings and cross ropes to go underneath. It is and not considered good taste to discuss undergarments. I'm sorry. Only thing that threw me was my top notch is worse than platinum cap on his tail. I still hate you. Kind of. Yeah, you're smiling. Go ahead. I don't blame you. I'm clumsy and I talk ignorant. And I guess a few yards of silk don't help the likes of me much. A wise man judges by the lady's smile. 
think I felt better when you was whooping my knuckles and telling me not to spear my bread. Golly, that's the first nice thing you said to me. I'm dealing with a woman now. You're dealing with a shaky one. You just being kind to me. A woman needs kindness only when she has no virtues, Emma. I... I wouldn't want you to say anything out of pity. Pity isn't included in the course. Come in. Mr. Paladin, I would... Holy, lovely, jumping toads. Hello, Tracy. Why, Ella, you... Well, uh, I... Gosh. What's the matter, Tracy? Well, Ella, I've never seen you in... I mean, your hair, your eyes, Ella. You're a lady, Ella. Am I, Tracy? You sure are, and I'll kill the man who says you ain't. I'm sorry for what I said to you, Ella, about not being a lady. But doggone it, you've changed. She changed for you, Mr. Calvin. Huh? She'll tell you herself in time. But she'd like it very much if you just kept that silly look on your face and kept thinking of her as a lady. Oh, I will, Ella. I swear I will, honest. <laughs> What'd I do wrong? Did, did I offend you? No, Tracy. No, dear, dear Tracy. Now, Ella, don't cry. I... Mr. Paladin, what do I do now? Take your lady in your arms, Mr. Kelvin, and never let her go. In Aveline Town, Mr. Paladin. In Aveline Town, things are going smoothly. And uh, how are things here in San Francisco? Smoothly. Specifically, the young lady I never dined with, is she still registered here? Oh, yes. Ah. Uh, then will you please take her this note and tell her I'm back? I do it, but her, her husband no like. Her husband? Yeah. She get married two days ago. Ah, me. But the uh, Spanish dancer registered today. Very nice. Ho, ho. You catch him up for dinner, eh? The Spanish dancer? Oh, boy. Uh, hey, boy, take that note up to the Spanish dancer with my compliments. Same note? <laughs> Same note. <laughs> no one we know of approves of wasting money. In spite of that, however, we Americans are often guilty of wasting our money by the uses we make of our government facilities. Take the operation of the post office, for example. Mostly out of habit, many offices and individuals post outgoing mail at the end of the day. In so doing, they leave post office employees with too little work to do at other times of the day. In addition, we forget to include zone numbers as part of the address. In both ways, we're slowing down the entire system for delivering mail and adding to the cost of our postal operation. The problem is simple enough to solve. Start solving it tomorrow. If you'll arrange to post letters and packages earlier in the day and include zone numbers on the return address as well as the outgoing address, you'll help our post office operate more efficiently for you and at less cost, too. Remember, for faster, more economical service, mail early in the day and include zone numbers. Have gun, will travel. 
Created by Herb Meadow and Sam Rolfe, is produced by Norman MacDonald and stars John Daner as Paladin with Ben Wright as Hayboy. Tonight's story was written by Gene Roddenberry and adapted for radio by John Dawson. Featured in the cast were Virginia Gregg, Sam Edwards, Harry Bartell, Lawrence Dopkin, Lynn Allen, and Barney Phillips. Hugh Douglas speaking. Join us again next week for Have Gun, Will Travel. Taming of the West, Ella West in particular. That was Have Gun, Will Travel from December 7th, 1958. Holy lovely jumping toads. You don't hear that so often in response to a lovely lady. Paladin solved a lot of problems in short order without firing a shot at anybody. He did fire a shot at some things, though. Star Trek creator Gene Roddenberry provided that story. And the versatile Virginia Gregg was the wild Ella West. And don't forget to post your mail early in the day. The women take over next. It's Fibra McGee and Molly here on Skywave Audio Theater. It isn't the money that makes a house beautiful and charming, we are told. If you have ever heard Fibra McGee and Molly, and in particular Harlow Wilcox, you'll know where that's going. And when Fibber casts aspersions on the fair sex, you can probably figure that Molly will have something to say. During World War II, of course, women took on many jobs that had been done by men. And that's the way things are when Fibber comes to terms with the new labor force. From December 8, 1942, here are Fibber McGee and Molly. The Johnson Wax Program with Fibber McGee and Molly. Makers of Johnson's Wax and Johnson's Self-Polishing Glow Coat present Fibber McGee and Molly, written by Don Quinn, with music by the King's Men and Billy Mills Orchestra. The show opens with New Sun in the Sky.
agree with me that the looks, the character, and the charm of a home certainly do not depend upon the amount of money spent on it. A piece of furniture, a hanging, or a floor covering may be in very good taste and be very inexpensive. No, it isn't the money. It's all the little things you do that make your home friendly and cozy. The use of wax is one of these things because certainly where floors and furniture and woodwork are regularly waxed, they give beauty and charm to an entire home. And wax also is inexpensive. A small bottle or can of Johnson's paste, liquid, or cream wax goes a long way. Pays for itself many times over in hours of work saved and in the protection that a shield of genuine Johnson's wax gives to wood, leather, and metal finishes. The squire of 79 Wistful Vista is a man of many parts. So is a vacuum cleaner. The party, of the, the party of the first part is just now finding out about the party of the second part having so many parts as we join Fibber McGee and Molly. All the doggone complicated gadgets I I don't know why it takes so much machinery to create a vacuum. Like building a million-dollar laboratory to split an atom. Haven't you got that vacuum cleaner fixed yet, McGee? No, and I've been working on it all day. And all I can see wrong with it is there's a little gadget missing off the thingamajig there that goes under the what's-it behind the hootenanny here. Yes, I know. I told you that before you started. You did? Certainly, but you wouldn't listen. You just kept saying, what do women know about mechanics? And you brushed me off. Well, they don't know anything about mechanics. Matter of fact, women don't know much about anything. Why, Fibber McGee, how you can stand... Oh, they're stand. sweet and nice and all that, but when it comes down to actually doing things, it takes a man. Well, who'd we better get? Well, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe more toops ain't doing it. What do you mean, who'll we get? <laughs> well, I don't agree with you that men are smarter than women. No, you don't. Well, who does all the important work in this world and earns the dough so you women can eat and have good clothes in the home and stuff? Men, that's whom... I see. We take what you earn, so you think that makes you smarter than we are. Ha, ha, ha. Men that make life easy for you. A woman couldn't even open a can of beans if some man hadn't invented the can opener. Well, you really said something there, dearie. I sure did. You did indeed. Yes, sir. For a thousand years, women have been cooking beans in an oven and then serving them in dishes. Betcha. Then along comes Mr. Man, the smarty pants. Going to save us a lot of trouble. So he invents a tin can to put the beans in. You betcha. And then he finds he has to invent a can opener to get the beans out. <laughs> then he spends so much time trying to sell his new gadget from door to door, he gets home late and his wife has to eat the beans over again in the oven and might just as well have cooked them there in the first place. Yeah, but I still maintain that... I'm sorry, dearie, I'm sorry. The Battle of the Sexes is another program. <laughs> I've got things to do, and you've got to fix that vacuum cleaner. Well, I can't fix it till I get one of them little thingamabobs that attaches to the hutzes here. Give me the phone. I'll have the hardware store send one over. Phone's out of order. Ah, the phone's out of order, she says. Now, there's a fine sample of women's inefficiency. Why didn't you tell me so I could have reported it and had it fixed? I reported it myself the first thing this morning. Oh. <laughs> well, I... Are they sending somebody out? Naturally. They said there'd be a repairman out immediately. Oh, a repairman, eh? 
don't suppose you know any women that could have fixed it. <laughs> a woman wouldn't have invented the telephone in the first place. What do you mean? Who wants a nickel's worth of gossip when the back fence is free? <laughs> that must be the repairman now. Come in, Si. Uh, McGee's residence. Well, we're still arguing that point with the FHA, but we live here. <laughs> well, I'm from the telephone company. You reported your phone out of order. Doggone it, sis. Did you have to come way out here just to check up on that? Why didn't they send a repairman? I'm the repairman. Where's the telephone? Uh, right here. It went dead this morning, and I don't know just Don't what... worry. I'll find it. <laughs> Boy, this is going to be good. <laughs> Better fix up the guest room, Molly. She'll be here a week. <laughs> That'll be nice. Maybe she'll tell me how the phone company trains those bumblebees. What bumblebees? The ones that give you that busy signal. Uh, hand me my screwdriver, please. Thank you. <laughs> this is rich. Alexandria Graham Belladonna. <laughs> I bet she don't know a transmitter from... Quiet, my... please, quiet. Hello? This is number 29, testing one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Woof, woof. Okay. Bring me back, please. Hello? Okay, now all clear. It's all right now, sir. I don't think you'll have any more trouble. What? It's fixed already? What was the matter with it, sis? The diaphragm was full of cigar ashes. Good day. So that's where those ashes went last night. See, why, why didn't you ask her to fix the vacuum cleaner for you, too, sweetheart? Ah, uh, just because she managed to make a simple adjustment on the telephone by some fluke, that don't mean she could... I'll bet the phone don't even work right now. But try it, try it. I will. It. Give me. Well, here. Hello, operator. Give me the hardware store. The number is Whistle Vista. Oh, 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 is that you, Mert? Now I'm sorry she did get it fixed. How's every little thing, Mert? It is, eh? What say, Mert? Your uncle? Ah. Well, he sure got the right spirit, Mert, but if he's over 38 years old, I don't think he can get back in. The army, dearie? No, high school. <laughs> what say, Mert? Well, maybe I better go down there myself anyway. Thanks, Mert. Mine's busy at the hardware store, Molly. You want to go down there with me? If you'll walk. What do you mean, if I walk? Four gallons of gas. <laughs> I gotta save that for something non-essential. Come on, let's go. I'll be with you in just a minute. I've gotta fix my hair a little and put on my face. I'll be down in just a jiffy. Ah, Mary. women, 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 women. Put on my face. Fix my hair. Find my gloves. Get a hanky. Squirt on some perfume. Straighten my seams. Change my earrings. Pull down my girdle. Where'd I put my purse? Does my slip show of all the dumb inefficiency. Come in, come in, come in, come in, come in. Mr. McGee? Yes? 30 cents, please. I'm collecting for the evening paper. Okay, here you are, sis. Yeah, but why don't the paper boy collect? I'm the paper boy now. Thank you. Boy, what a changing world. Hey, Molly. Come on, Molly. Hurry up. What's all the rush, McGee? I want to get out of here before the finance company sends a couple of cuties out to pick up the piano. <laughs>
telephone repairmen, women wrestlers, women mechanics, women paper boys. Oh, paper now, handlers. now, stop your complaining, McGee. Uh, I imagine a woman delivering an evening, evening paper will be very conscientious. That's just it. I'm so used to looking all through the shrubbery, how can I find the paper if it's laying right there on the porch? <laughs> Incidentally, dearie, I forgot to tell you. Forgot to tell me what? The next time you write a note for the milkman, you better let me do it. She's a redhead. You mean even the milkman is a woman now? Oh, my gosh. I don't know what this country's coming to. When McGee! It's... Huh? Look who's coming. Mrs. Uppington. Uh-oh. Get a load of the uptown strut. <laughs> Anybody think a peacock brought her instead of a common old stork? Now, don't be unpleasant, dear. It isn't nice to hate people just because they're rich, you know. I don't hate her just because she's rich. Well, that helps. <laughs> the way she looks down her nose at me. I tried staring back at her once, and I was cross-eyed for three days. Well, don't... Oh, hello there, Abigail, darling. Oh, how do you do, Mrs. McGee? And Mr. McGee? Oh, hi, Uppy. On your way somewhere, or have you been where you're going? Oh, this is strictly business, Mr. McGee. <laughs> I am a working girl now, you know. Yeah, you may be working, but you're no good. McGee. <laughs> You working, Abigail? Heavenly days. Who on earth would ever hire... Uh, I mean, uh, uh, what could you possibly do that would be... Wor- uh, that is... Uh, well, where are you working? Oh, oh, that is quite confidential. But, my dear, it is so thrilling to feel oneself a part of the humming business life of the city. To feel that one, in one small way, is doing one's best to help one's fellow man. I'll give you a fin for those five ones. I mean... <laughs> I beg your pardon, Mr. McGee. Ah, uh, he's just trying to be smart, Abigail. Oh, really? Well, I'm sorry. I always seem to be present when the attempt fails. <laughs> Have you ever achieved it, Mr. McGee? What do you mean, Abby? I mean, Mr. McGee, that I do not wish you to think that your attempts at humor are entirely unappreciated. Oh, honest? <laughs> you don't say that just because you admire me. <laughs> My admiration stops. Somewhat short of adulation. In short, I consider you a humorist in a class with Mark Twain. Oh, isn't that grand? Mark Twain, eh? Hey, is he dead? Very. <laughs> I see that you have grasped my point. And now, Mrs. McGee, if you will excuse me, I must be going. Oh, now, don't rush off, Abigail. I'd like to hear more about this new work of yours. Yeah, me too, Uppy. Gee, it must give you a lot of satisfaction to hold down a real man's job. Oh, indeed it does, Mr. McGee. You must try it sometime. (laughs) Well, goodbye, Mrs. McGee. I have just time to get to the office to put on my uniform. Uniform? (laughs) Yes, oh, it's such fun, really. (laughs) There is nothing like wearing a uniform, you know, to give one a feeling of esprit de corps. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, ain't it? the truth, Uppy. I rented one from a costume company once, and I had that feeling for weeks. <laughs> I itched all over. Maybe it was just my imagination, but I... Now, please, swore... Mr. McGee. Goodbye, Mrs. McGee. <laughs> Did I say something wrong? I don't know, McGee, but I do wish you two would stop snarling at each other. I always feel like I'd spent the day climbing in and out of a ring with a towel and a pail of water. (laughs) She's too doggone hi-hat. She burns me up. She always acts like she just stepped off the Plymouth Rock and I was something that crawled out from under it. I wonder what kind of a job she's got. I don't know, but this thing is getting worse and worse. The way women are taking men's jobs is awful. Oh, now, it isn't that bad. Come on, now. We've got to get across to the hardware store. No, no. We can't cross the street now. The light's against us. Oh, come on. There's hardly any traffic. Come on, across. Watch your step there. I'll be running 
in for jaywalking. Go on back to the curb now, both of you. Heavenly days, a policewoman. This is too much. I'm going home and learn how to crochet. Now, now, this is War McGee. Somebody's got to take the men's places. Come on, we've got the light now. Women, women cops. Women paper boys. Well, hello, women. folks. Doing your Christmas shopping? Oh, hello, Mr. Wilcox. No, we're just down to buy a part for our vacuum cleaner. Hey, hey, Harlow, are you still working for Johnson's Wax? Certainly. Why? You mean no woman has taken your place yet? What are you talking about, chum? Well, he's frightened, Mr. Wilcox. You ain't kidding. I really am. The women are moving in on us, Harlow. I'm scared. Oh, don't be like that. I'm telling you, the first time I see a bunch of girls standing on a corner watching men get on the streetcar, I'm off for the tall <laughs> Mr. Wilcox. Women. You know, we've got a lady milkman and a lady paper boy and the telephone repairman was a woman and we just got balled out by a female cop. Yeah. <laughs> well, personally, Fibber, I think it's a great thing. Traitor. <laughs> Not at all. Why, we wouldn't be in business if it weren't for women being so smart. How's that, Mr. Wilcox? Well, if women hadn't demanded an easier, simpler way to protect and preserve their kitchen linoleum, Johnson's self-polishing glow coat would never have been developed. That's all very well, but suppose so. Why, it's the women who realized that a protective wax polish like Johnson's glow coat was really a very important health measure, too. But I don't quite see what Because that... it seals surfaces against <laughs> dust and dirt and dampness. And makes a kitchen where food is prepared a great deal more sanitary place. What's that got to do? Why, when you stop to... <laughs> when you stop to think that Johnson's self-polishing glow coat dries to a beautiful mirror-like finish in 20 minutes or less, you... What's the matter? Oh, nothing. But Fibber usually interrupts me about that point. <laughs> Not anymore, I don't, Junior. You go right on. Give it everything. Take as long as you like. I want you to keep your job. Why, McGee? You think I want to be left in this town but nobody but women? You're too old for the army, aren't you, Wilcox? Well, yes, but what? Ah, that? good. We got to see more of each other, pal. Drop round the house oftener. Let's go bowling together and hunting. Gee whiz, we can be a regular Damon and Runyon. Well, this is all very touching, McGee. It's a beautiful friendship, but we've got to get that vacuum cleaner fixed. We'll see you later, Mr. Wilcox. Okay, Molly and Fibber. You might as well stop worrying about this being a woman's world. You mean you don't think it will be? I mean, it always has been. Come on. You better take his advice, McGee. You haven't got any job a woman could get anyway. Well, I know. Oh, oh, oh. Now what? I'm fresh out of cigars. Excuse me while I duck in this tobacco shop and get a handful. All right. Yes, sir? Oh, my gosh. Another woman. You got any of my brand of cigars, sis? El Ropo de Cabbage in the two for a nickel size? Certainly, sir. Here you are, though we have a milder brand and a pure Havana with a long filler. Oh. Those you are smoking are a combination of Virginia short fiber combined with a Turkish leaf, which has been crossed with a Louisiana perique. We have found in the selection of tobaccos that under chemical analysis, the nicotine content... Oh, never mind, never mind. I don't eat them. I just smoke them. Here's a dime. So long. It's a plague. I'm haunted. Oh, now what's the matter, McGee? A woman cigar clerk. Where'll they be next? Ain't there any work around here anymore for men? Has the whole world gone soprano? <laughs> oh, now for goodness sakes, McGee, stop ranting. Have you seen any Hello women? Hello there, daughter. Hello, Johnny. Well, thank goodness, a man's voice. <laughs> Hello, Mr. Oldtimer. We haven't seen you for a long time. No, I've been working on the other side of town, Doyer. Doing what, Oldtimer? Filling station. 
But the boss fired me. Oh, what did he do that for? Wasn't a he, it was a she. Got mad because I tried to kiss her. <laughs> Says it was a filling station, not a pet shop. <laughs> I better get me some new teeth. <laughs> Says I didn't have the technique for a Casanova or the legs for a Romeo. Says if I wanted to make passes so bad, why didn't I go out for football? <laughs> Says she loved children, but I was in my second childhood, and she only loved them the first time around. <laughs> that got me, kids. I quit. <laughs> She said she fired you. Well, anyway, I got my walking papers. <laughs> yeah. So is McGee, only in his case, they call it an A book. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty good, daughter. But that ain't the way I heard it. The way I heard it, one feller says to the feller, See? Hey, where are you kids going? We're going down to the hardware store on the next block. Why? I just wondered. But the way I heard it, one feller says to the feller, And the deuce is wild. <laughs> the king's men sing no more coffee in the pot. There's an open letter to the boys in the air on Lambert Pole. While you're scrapping over there, we're getting in the scrap back home. No more coffee in the pot. for the police department, enforcing the blackout. What makes you think so? I can't think of any other use for a dim bulb like her. <laughs> Listen now, I like her. Well. Though I would like to know why she's keeping this job of her such a secret. Well, whatever it is, I'll bet she's Here, just... McGee, here's the hardware store. Oh. Now, do you remember what you need for the vacuum cleaner? Sure I do. Come on. Good day. What could I do for you? Well, uh, look, sis, could I see the manager? Certainly. 
I'm the manager. Oh, <laughs> well, we hardly expected to see a woman managing a hardware store. Maybe you didn't, Molly, but I'm getting so I expect to find him managing anything. I'll bet I can look out the back window tomorrow morning and see our garbage man powdering her nose. What could I do for you, please? Well, I don't suppose you'd know anything about it, dearie, but our vacuum cleaner is broken, and we need a little, uh, uh, you tell her, dearie. Uh, okay, look, sis, a vacuum cleaner is a pretty complicated mechanism, so I'll try to explain what I want in words of one syllable or less. What kind of a vacuum cleaner is it, please? A rover. I see. Then you undoubtedly need the little flange that fits over the gear housing to keep the brush unit from meshing with the speed governor. That would be 237J129 in the new catalog, and I think I have one right here. Is uh, this what you wanted? Well, is it, McGee? McGee, close your mouth and stop popping your eyes and tell me. Oh, yeah, what? Right. Yes, that's, that's the very thing. How did you know, sis? That's usually what's wanted to repair the uh, rover machine. Oh. That's because there is too much vibration in the gear housing for the tensile strength of the material. Oh. It causes what we call metal fatigue, which oh. results in undue wear. Now, in the earlier models, the disc, which is superimposed on the power shaft, directly under the intermediate McGee, gear... McGee! McGee, uh, stop shaking! <laughs> I think my husband is a bit ill, dearie. I'd better get him out in the fresh air. How much is it? The ceiling price is uh, 47 cents. Mm-hmm. Though in the catalogs from 1934 to 1941 inclusive, it was... Never mind. Here's uh, a half a dollar, and thank you very much. Come on, McGee. Mm-hmm. Brace up. It's all over. <laughs> Snap out of it. Oh, was I hearing things, Molly? Was that a woman? Did she know all that about vacuum cleaners? It was, and she did, and now maybe you'll believe that women are useful oh. at times. Come on, let's go home now. Boy, what a day this has been. Women everywhere. I'm telling you, it scares me. What scares you, Mr. McGee? Oh. Hi, wimp, old man. I was just saying that with all these women taking men's place in business, I, I feel kind of lost. Us guys are going to have a tough time getting back into circulation again. Oh, I wouldn't worry about it, Mr. McGee. Huh? I often tell Sweetie Face that woman's place is in the home. You tell her that? <laughs> yes. And then when she gets up to start after me, I tell her that wherever she is, it's home to me. <laughs> hey. What's the matter with your lips, Wimp? You fall down or something? Oh, no, Mr. McGee. They're just a little bruised. Oh. Cigarettes, you know. Oh. How could you smash your lips all up with a cigarette? Yeah. <laughs> well, Sweetie Face is so afraid of fire, in her feminine way, that every time she sees a lighted cigarette, she stamps it out with her foot. <laughs> I guess I didn't spit it out quickly enough. <laughs> Poor man. And what have you been doing downtown today? I went to the Bonton department store, Mrs. McGee, to tell Santa Claus what I wanted for Christmas. Did you sit on his lap, Wimp? Oh, Mr. McGee, that's ridiculous. Santa Claus hasn't got any lap. Well, what'd you ask him for, Mr. Wimple? A pair of stilts. Stilts? Isn't that a little childish, Mr. Wimple? Not in this case, Mrs. McGee. I read someplace that you can tame a wild beast if you look it straight in the eye. Sweetie Face is so much taller than I am. How's everything in the poetry department, Wimp? Oh, I keep right on with it, Mr. McGee. I just finished a Christmas poem. Oh, let's hear it, Mr. Wimple. Come on now. All righty. I call it The Morning After the Night Before Christmas. And it goes... Hey, that's the best one you've written yet. I was just clearing my throat, Mr. Wimple. Unnatural mistake. Go on, Mr. Wimple. All righty. 
from the Arctic Circle down to the Isthmus, we're waiting eagerly for Christmas, with joyous hearts and sparkling eyes for Santa's annual surprise. And I always win in the Yuletide race, because I steal some hoes from Sweetie Face, an idea I think is very clever, as hers hold more than mine would ever, with a gay little carol and a resume tales. Oh, what a sock that woman has. <laughs> Excuse me, folks. Here comes my speaker. Goodbye. What a poem. Didn't you like it, McGee? I've read better ones on Burma shave signs with the last two posts missing. <laughs> Come on, let's go home. I'm wore out. Well, you've had a hard day, dear. You know, it's been a great emotional strain on you, finding women so efficient in everything. Well, gee whiz. They don't have to take over everything, do they? They can leave a few jobs open for men. After all, what's it got... Oh, McGee, give me some change. I want to drop it in the box for that Santa Claus on the corner. Okay, here you are. I better stand back so my cigar won't set his beard on fire. Yeah. <laughs> here you are, Santa Claus. Here's a little present for you. Oh, thank you very much, Mrs. McGee. You've had the experience, I'm sure, of walking into a wax-protected home where the floors, furniture, and woodwork gleamed with that mellow, rich beauty that only wax can give. I wonder if you realized that there was something awfully important in that home besides beauty. I mean its cleanliness and what that means in healthful living. When you wax your floors, furniture, woodwork, and baseboards with Johnson's Wax, you not only protect those surfaces against wear, but you actually prevent dirt from collecting there. You seal the surfaces against moisture penetration, too. And germs don't like clean, dry places. Yes, a waxed house is a clean house, and a clean house is a sanitary, healthful one. Let Johnson's Wax, paste, liquid, or cream, help you, especially in these times, to keep your home immaculate as well as beautiful. Where's that vacuum cleaner, Molly? I want to put this thing a jig into it. Right where you always leave it, huh? in the center of the room. Huh? Oh, oh yeah. Now let me see. I think if I tip it over. The... Hey, what? The... It's running. I it's know. Fixed. Sure. I fixed it. You did? How? I plugged it in. <laughs> well, of all the doggone inefficiency. Ain't that just like a woman? Why, if you'd have plugged it in in the first place, we wouldn't have had any trouble. No, and we wouldn't have had any show either. <laughs> Good night. Good night, all. The characters of Wallace Wimple and the old-timer heard on this program were played by Bill Thompson. This is Harlow Wilcox speaking for the makers of Johnson's Wax Finishes for Home and Industry, inviting you to be with us again next Tuesday night. Good night. This program has reached you from Hollywood. This is the National Broadcasting Company. When in doubt, plug it in. A good tip for any person wrestling with tech. One of those uh, women war workers probably would have figured that out even before Molly did in keeping with their motto, we can do it. That was Fibber McGee and Molly with a show about women taking over, and it came from December 8, 1942. One of the S.C. Johnson Company's owners 
Henrietta Johnson Lewis suggested to her husband John, who was Johnson Wax's advertising manager, that they try a show out on the national network. That would be Fibber McGee and Molly, and under the terms of the agreement between S.C. Johnson and Jim and Marion Jordan, the company got ownership of the names Fibber McGee and Molly, for a time at least, if not in perpetuity. Well, marriage is a contract between two people, but what if? Uh, We'll find out next from Screen Director's Playhouse here on Skywave Audio Theater. It's called an Enoch Arden Law. It grants a divorce so that a person can remarry if his or her spouse has been absent without explanation for a certain number of years, typically seven, and seven is the magic number. In the 1940 hit film My Favorite Wife, It starred Cary Grant and Irene Dunn as a husband and wife who have a problem. Or is that a husband and two wives? The stars of the film encored their roles in the Screen Director's Playhouse adaptation of December 7, 1950. My favorite wife. Screen Director's Playhouse stars Cary Grant, Irene Dunn. Production, My Favorite Wife. Director, Garson Kanan. This is the Screen Director's Playhouse, the Thursday night feature on NBC's all-star festival of comedy, music, mystery, and drama. Brought to you by the makers of Anison for fast relief from the pain of headache, neuritis, and neuralgia, Chesterfield, the cigarette that brings you Bing Crosby and Bob Hope, your local Ford dealer, who is now displaying the new 1951 Ford, the car that's built for the years ahead, and RCA Victor, world leader in radio, first in recorded music, first in television. Tonight, the Screen Director's Playhouse is pleased to present a classic in comedy, Irene Dunn and Cary Grant, starring in our adaptation of Leo McCary's production for RKO, My Favorite Wife. But first, no matter what you now take for headache relief, we urge you to try Anison for the incredibly fast relief these tablets bring the next time you're suffering from a headache. Now, the reason Anison is so wonderfully fast-acting and effective is this. Anison is like a doctor's prescription. That is, Anison contains not just one, but a combination of medically proven active ingredients in easy-to-take tablet form. Thousands of people have received envelopes containing Anison tablets from their own dentist or physician, and in this way discovered the incredibly fast relief Anison brings from pains of headache, neuritis, or neuralgia. So the next time a headache strikes... Take Anison for this wonderfully fast relief. Anison. A-N-A-C-I-N. Anison at any drug counter in handy boxes of 12 and 30, economical family size bottles of 50 and 100. Now, here is the first act of My Favorite Wife, starring Cary Grant and Irene Dunn in their original roles of Nick and Ellen Arden. 
Consider a bottle floating in the Pacific Ocean. Ah, if only fate would cast it on some shore where human eyes might read the note inside. The note that says... Ellen Arden is alive and well. I survived the sinking of the freighter Milton A. on August 5th, 1943. Am living on an island approximately 200 miles south of the point of sinking. Please notify my husband, Nicholas Arden, Los Angeles, California, USA. If only these words might reach the ear of Nick Arden. But no, fate would have it otherwise. For seven years, the bottle floats, and now Nick has fallen into the clutches of another woman, Bianca Bates. The bottle floats, and Nick is sunk. Nick, darling, isn't it time we thought about marriage? Hmm? Marriage, Bianca? Marriage? Yeah, well, let's think about it sometime, yeah. Now, Nick. Well, all right, I'm thinking. You can't go on brooding over Ellen for the rest of your life. Ah, uh, wonderful woman, Ellen. You should have known her. Well, what about me? Mm, all right, let's talk about you. Now, have you read any good books lately? <clears throat> Nick, I'm talking about marriage. Yeah, well, I was just wondering if my children would understand that. I'll be a mother to Timmy and Chinch. Oh. Uh, as a lawyer, here's the way I look at Nick, it. Nick, this isn't law. It's us, a man and a woman. Yes, Bianca. You're lonely, aren't you? Yes, Bianca. You love me, don't you? Yes, Bianca. Well, Nick? Mm. I've got an idea. What? Let's get married. Well, this is the room, Bianca. Court of General Sessions. Nick, I still don't see why we have to be married by a judge. Oh, get everything done in one place. He'll rule Ellen legally dead and marry us. It's morbid. And, Nick, why do you insist on wearing that black tie? Uh, sign of respect. But, darling, it's our wedding day. Oh, Nick, I bought this other tie for you to wear. It's more suitable mm. for a wedding. Well, I can't put it on now, dear. Before the ceremony, then. Well, come on, Bianca. We're already a little late. Clerk, where are the parties in the matter of Arden versus Arden? Right here, Your Honor. Well, about time. Sorry, Your Honor. Now, just stand here, Bianca. All right, darling. Young woman, what are you doing with that tie in your hand? Are you a tie salesman? Hey, clerk, how did this tie salesman get in here? Uh, she's with me, Your Honor. Are you a tie salesman? Oh, no, I'm Nicholas Arden. Arden? That's a familiar name. Arden versus Arden, Your Honor. The brief is on your desk. Why didn't you say so? <laughs> You're an attorney, Mr. Arden. Why weren't you here on time? Now you'll just have to wait. I'm supposed to marry somebody. Me, Your Honor. You? You got a license, got a ring, got a bride? Yes, Your Honor. But uh, first, the matter of Ellen Wagstaff Arden, my former wife. A young woman, are you his former wife? I should say not. You don't raise your voice. There's such a thing as contempt of court, you know. Well, <laughs> Your Honor, Ellen Wagstaff Arden was lost at sea. Oh, yes, yes, I remember now. I've got it all here in your breeze. My former wife was working as a news photographer during the war. She was aboard the freighter when it hit a reef. Uh, will you let me read the brief? Uh, sorry. Uh. Yes, says here you have two children. My, that's sad, very sad. It happened seven and a half years ago. Yeah, I know, I know I can read, can't I? But there's a final summing up, Your Honor. You'll find it on page ten, right here. Yeah, I'll find it myself. Oh. Yeah. 
No, here it is on page 10. Well, if I can explain, Your Honor... Ain't nothing to explain. Sworn affidavits, lost at sea, no evidence to the contrary. The law is clear. I hereby pronounce Ellen Wagstaff Arden legally dead. Oh, Nick, we're finally free. Young woman, stop waving that tie in my face. Your Honor, this is the woman I intend to marry. This tie salesman? I am not a tie salesman. I'm his bride. Amazing. Man's wife hasn't been dead five minutes and he's getting married again. <laughs> uh, Mr. Arden, are you sure you want to marry this woman? Of course he's sure. Of course I'm sure. Hmm? Where's the license? Right here, Your Honor. Now, will you please take off that horrible necktie? What? What's wrong with my necktie? Oh, no, no, not you. Nothing, Your Honor. Yeah, no, I no. distinctly heard her say... No, that... she meant me. Now, pardon me, Your Honor. I, I just want to change ties. I, oh. I don't understand this at all. Hey, clerk, do you understand oh, this? I can't get the knot undone. Well, let me help you, dear. Yeah, but wait a minute, Bianca, you're choking me. Well, I'm trying. Yeah, yeah, you're yeah, pushing it the wrong way. I'm strangling. <laughs> But fate, perverse fate, is playing a strange trick on Nicholas Arden. For even as he is being married, a figure garbed in ragged seafaring clothes is walking up to the door of the Arden home. Hello, how are you? He's a sailor, I can tell. Hello there. See, Chinch, it's not even a he at all. Are you a lady sailor? In a way. Our mommy was drowned at sea, wasn't she? Uh Uh-huh. And we're not supposed to know. Timmy, do you miss her very much? Oh, sure. How'd you know my name? Oh, I know. And your sister's name is Chinch. Gosh, you're swell-looking kids. Daddy says we look like our mommy. Would you like to have her back? Can't have her back. She's drowned. But maybe... I'm sorry, ma'am. We're not allowed to talk to strangers But, Chinch... We're not allowed to talk to strangers. Is your daddy home? No, just Grandma. Uh, Pardon me, I heard you talking. Is there something... uh... Hello, darling. Well, now, don't faint. Is it... Uh, It is, it is. Then I'll faint. Oh, now, don't be a sissy. Uh, Ellen, good heavens. Alive and eating well. Oh, Ellen... Oh, I think I'm going to cry. Don't be a sissy. (laughs) Let's go in, into my house. You know, I I just can't believe it. When? How? We thought you were drowned. No, darling, definitely not drowned. And where have you been? An island, a horrible island. How's Nicky? Nicky? Yes, your son, my husband. Oh, he's fine. Handsome? As ever. Prosperous? Well, reasonably. Uh, Ellen? Yes? Uh, uh, Nick's married again. What did you say? Nick, he's married. Oh, I, I never thought of that. Seven years, Ellen. Oh, yes, seven years. Is she nice? No. <laughs> Anyone I know? No, her name is Bianca Bates. Bianca Bates? Well, at least Nick hasn't lost his sense of humor. (laughs) Mother? Yes, Ellen? How long did he wait? Oh, a long time. Until today. Until today? You were declared legally dead this morning, and then Nick married Bianca. They're driving to Yosemite for the honeymoon. Yosemite? 
Not our hotel. Well, you see, uh, Nick had business in San not Francisco. Not sweet, eh? Not the same room. Oh, he couldn't. Oh, Helen, my dear. I, I'm so sorry. If only you would have gotten here yesterday. Wait a, minute, wait a minute. I'm thinking. Yes, yes. Married this morning, driving to Yosemite. Mother, uh, does Nick love her? He doesn't love her. He just married her. Do planes still fly to Yosemite? Well, I guess so. What have you got in mind? It's what Nikki has in mind I'm worried about. Mother, I'm flying to Yosemite. Now, here is Act Two of the Screen Director's Playhouse production of My Favorite Wife, starring Irene Dunn as Ellen and Cary Grant as Nick. Ah, fate. Fickle mistress of men's lives. See what a stunning blow she is about to deal Nick Arden. For as he and his bride, Bianca, park their car at the Yosemite Honeymoon Hotel... Disaster lurks at the reservation desk. Its name is Ellen Arden. Brant, Brant, this gentleman to room 12. Now, madam, what can I do for you? My name is Mr. Pentwhistle. Uh, Mr. Pentwhistle, I wonder if my husband has arrived yet. Mr. Nicholas Arden. Oh, yes, the honeymoon couple. Are you his bride? I'm one of them. <laughs> well, our hotel caters to honey... One of them? Yes, one of them. The way you say that makes my blood run cold. Oh. <laughs> I bet I've shocked you. Hey, silly old-fashioned me. <laughs> you still haven't answered my question. Has Mr. Arden arrived yet? Why, no, he hasn't. Oh, thank goodness I'm in time. Hey, I hesitate to ask this question. In time for what? <laughs> You know, I bet this sounds silly to you, but I'd just like to bite his ear and run my fingers through his hair. Eh, not in this hotel, you know. <laughs> oh, it's, it's, it's perfectly all right. Yes, I'll bet it is. <laughs> eh, do you want to tell me all about it? Well, that, that's awfully sweet of you, Mr. Pentwhistle, but I think I'd like to freshen up. Oh, of course. You'll find a lovely powder room at another hotel eight miles down the road. <laughs> oh, Oh, I won't be going that far. Yes. Well, maybe I'm just narrow-minded. Pentwhistle speaking. Now, this is the garage, Mr. Pentwhistle. Just parked Mr. Nicholas Arden and wife. They're on the way up. Oh, my goodness. Oh, good evening. Are you Mr. Pentwhistle? Yes, yes, I'm Mr. Pentwhistle. I have reservations for my wife and myself. Nicholas Arden. Your Nicholas Arden? Yes. Nick, why is he staring at you like that? I don't know. Is something wrong? Well, if you don't know, I'm not going to tell you. I don't understand you. You don't understand me? Nick, may we go to our room? Yes, dear, yes, dear. Now, Mr. Pentwhistle, my wife is tired. Oh, oh, so she's one of the brides. What do you mean, one of the brides? Do you have more? <laughs> do you have more? That's what this hotel is worried about. Oh, now, now, please, this is my wife. Yes, I'm sure she is. So if you'll just show us to our room. Very well. Front, sweet A. Uh, uh, oh, sweet A, but I don't want sweet A. Nick, 
Why not? Good sir, it's one of our very best. Well, haven't you something else? Well, I'll look. Mr. Evie... But it's their best, uh, Nick. Yes, I, I, I know. But, but, but for you, Bianca, the best isn't good enough. <laughs> I can let you have sweet sea. It's just been redecorated. Do you mind the smell of fresh paint? I love it. I hate it. We'll take it. Nick! The smell, of, the smell of paint? Good for the indigestion. You run along, Bianca. I'll be up as soon as I register. All right, darling. I'll be waiting for you. Please hurry. Uh, please just sign here. Yeah, thank you. I, <clears throat> you see, I, I couldn't take sweet A. You've been here before. You understand, don't you? Yes, and it gives me goose flesh. <laughs> Here's the pen. Oh, thank you. <clears throat> Mr. Arden, there's something I would like to get off my mind. What is it? There's a woman around here. She wants to bite you on the ear. <laughs> Which ear? Well, I don't know. I, well, what difference does it make which ear? Now, look, is this some kind of a joke? Yes. Yes, you can laugh. You're not a hotel manager. Oh, oh, oh my goodness. Now, now, what's the matter, Mr. Pentwhistle? She's coming back. Who's coming back? The other bride. What other bride? The one with the teeth. What teeth? Ouch! My ear! Hello, Nicky, darling. Oh, hello, Ellen. Uh, Ellen? Yes. Ellen? <laughs> oh, Ellen! Oh! He's fainted. What do we do, Mr. Pentwhistle? Do you want my advice? Yes. Put a coconut in his mouth and pretend he's a potted palm. <laughs> Front. Are you feeling better, Nick? Dizzy. Very dizzy. It was nice of Mr. Pentwhistle to let us use his office. Oh, Ellen, we've got to talk. Yes, we certainly do. What's the idea of your getting married? Well, that's just it. My wife... I'm your wife. Oh, Bianca isn't going to like that. Well, I'm not going to like Bianca. Uh, well, Mr. Arden... Oh, hello, Mr. Pentwhistle. Uh, how do you feel? As if I'm going in circles. Yeah, well, the next time you pass this way, there's a phone call for you. Who from? Your wife. The other one. Oh, thanks. <laughs> you can use the phone on the desk. This I have to hear. Oh, Nick. Nick, before right. you pick it up. Yes, Ellen? A kiss. Hmm. Mr. Arden. Hmm. Would you mind stop scuffing my rug? <laughs> That's all I wanted to know. Oh, my, 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 my. <laughs> nothing's changed, nothing's changed. Not a thing. No. <laughs> now you can talk to Bianca. Bianca? Yes, yeah, the phone. The phone? Phone? Oh, oh. Hello, who's this? Oh, Bianca. Oh, hello, Bianca. What's new? <laughs> Don't you say darling anymore? Yes, darling. A darling. Ouch! What happened? Well, I, I, I just barked my shins. Just a minute, Bianca. Now, Ellen, stop kicking me. Well, you cut out that darling. But just don't kick me. Hello, Bianca. Where are you? Uh, barbershop. But why? I'm waiting for you, darling. Need a haircut. But you don't need a haircut. Shave. You've shaved this morning. Shampoo? Yes. Oh. Please, hurry. Don't forget this is our wedding night, darling. I'll tie a string around my finger. I'll be waiting, Nick. I'll be right up, darling. Oh, 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 forgot, forgot. What does she want? Right up, Bob. Huh? What oh. does she want? Well, she said she's hungry. Wants a corned beef sandwich. Oh. <laughs> 
Oh, well, if that's all she wants, you just stay right here and let Mr. Pentwistle go. Uh, Mr. Pentwistle would just as soon stick his neck in a bread slicer. Ellen, <laughs> Ellen, now listen. Let's go somewhere where we can be alone. Yes, where? Your room. Oh, oh, oh but I don't have one. Well, then I'll get you one. Mr. Pentwistle... Hey, 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 don't say it. Uh, don't just, say it. Now, a room for Mrs... I'm... For Miss Wagstaff. Oh, why did I ever run away from the pool room? <laughs> we'll take Sweet A if you have it. But you don't like Sweet A. Mm-hmm, he does now. And then along came the freighter, and I lit the fire on the hill, and that's all there was to it. Mm. Seven years on an island. Seven years. Oh, I've missed you, Ellen. So have the children. I saw them. They're darling. <laughs> Did you tell them yet? No, not yet, Nick. I want to do it gradually. It'd be kind of a shock. Shock? The most shocking thing of all is that I'm married again and I'm still terribly in love with you. <laughs> well, if you think that's shocking, how would you like to come home after seven years and find your husband checked into a hotel with another woman? Oh, now she's not just another woman. She's my wife. <laughs> Seems to me you just bagged more than the legal limit. How in the world did this happen to me? How did I suddenly become a bigamist? The question is, what are you going to do about it? Well, naturally, I want to do the right thing by everyone. Well, fine, then you start by telling Bianca. Oh, no, can't do that. Well, why not? Well, she wouldn't understand. Sensitive, high strung. Not as high strung as I'd like to see her. Oh. <laughs> You just leave this to me. All right, then you just march right into her room and tell her that your wife's come back. On her wedding night? Yes, tell her she got bumped by higher priority. Believe <laughs> me, you can't bump Bianca. Mm-hmm. Well, nothing could be farther from my mind. <laughs> Nicholas Arden, do you love that woman? No. Do you love me? Yes. Well, just don't do something. Stand there. Oh, for... All right, as soon as I get a shave and a haircut. Oh, Nick, stop stalling. Oh, well, now, Ellen, be reasonable. I, I just can't walk in there like a dope and say, Sorry, my mistake, marriage is off, can I? <laughs> well, you just say it or I will. Well, all right. In that case, I'll say it. Yes? Uh, Mr. Arden, I don't want to be prissy about this, but uh, your wife would like to see you. Which wife? Which wife? The one in Sweet Sea. Oh, that wife. If you'll follow me, please, Mr. Arden. Ellen, I'm off to see Bianca. I'll be strong. You'd better be, or I'll tell her myself. Right down this hall, Mr. Arden, is your suite. It's a nice suite. Your wife is a nice woman. Which wife? The one in Sweet C. The one inside this door. Now, why don't you go inside and stay there, now, please? Now, let me explain. It's as simple as A, B, C. Now, don't tell me you got another one in B. <laughs> Mr. Penfester, Mr. Why don't you just forget about me and my problem? Good night, Mr. Arden. Good night. <laughs> oh, what a problem. Now, now, Bianca. Now, be. Oh, no, that's not strong enough. Oh, no. Now, now, Bianca. Something's come up. This is the situation. Truth is stranger than fiction. Uh, Bianca, there's something between two people who've been married that you don't get between two people who haven't been married. <laughs> French, 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 French have a word for it. Now, 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 let me see. Is that right? Yeah. All right. Now, 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 be big, Bianca. Be brave. You will. That's a girl. Nick. Bianca, something's come up. What? My wife. 
Nick, you're talking so strangely. Bianca, there's a situation between two people who've ever been married. Truth is stranger than a Frenchman. Be brave. Be brave. Come on, you'll have a word for it. Nick, I don't understand you. Oh, you don't? Well, in that case, good night. Darling. Oh, darling. Are you just bashful? Is that what's wrong? Uh, bashful. Yeah, that's it. Buck fever. See you later. Nick. Going down to get a deck of cards. Canasta. Uh, Come inside. Come on, Nick. Oh, come inside. Well, all right. I've sent down for some champagne. Oh, can't drink the stuff. Gives me hiccups. <coughs> like that. <coughs> Terrible. All right, darling. Now, why don't you relax and put your dressing gown on? Just like me. Oh, hmm? I'd look silly in your dressing gown. Behind you. <laughs> now, Bianca. Be afraid of me. I'm your wife. No, that's what I'm afraid of. I... Oh, Nick. Come on, put your arms around me. Well, are you sure your mother won't mind? <laughs> We're man and wife, darling. Now, what would you like to do? Answer the phone. Hello? Hello? This is Ellen. Did you tell her yet? No, not yet. I'm working up to it. I'll be right in. Oh, no, no, don't. Hello? Hello? Who's that, Nick? Well, well, uh, it's an important client. Very important. Got his papers caught in the corpus. Have to go back to work tomorrow, no? Uh, oh, Nick! Right, right now, start back. Go Nick, ahead. how can you treat me like this? Where are you going? I have to file a quick affidavit. No time to explain. Hurry, hurry! Nick. Get me into that room. Uh, now, don't try to stop me. All right, I'll tell him myself. All I need is time. What were you doing in there? Briefing her. <laughs> Get out of my way. Oh, now, Ellen, Bianca and I are not going to spend the night in the hotel. Oh, you aren't? No. No, we're, we're driving back home. Now, oh. why don't you catch the next plane back and we'll settle everything in a nice, civilized manner? Oh, I know your civilized manner. That's what got me into this hotel seven years ago. Ellen, <laughs> Ellen, I promise you, I promise you I'll tell her. Well, now, come on, let's go back to your room. Seven lonely years. All those years on an island. Nobody to talk to. Nothing but memories. My love for you and the will to stay alive. Hoping against hope that you'd wait. And then to come home and find myself legally dead. I know, Ellen, dear. I'll make it up to you. Yes? Well, well, you are fickle, aren't you? <laughs> Just leaving, Mr. Pentwhistle. Uh, before you do, would you mind delivering a message to your wife... Uh, to that woman... To whoever she is in there with you. Right. Fire away. A uh, Mr. Stephen Burkett phoned earlier. Stephen Burkett? Yes. He says to tell her he left her things from the island with her mother-in-law. Uh, things from the island? Mm-hmm. And that seven years together wasn't nearly enough. He'd like to see her again. Goodbye and good luck. Stephen <laughs> <laughs> Burkett? Stephen Burkett? Stephen Burkett. Uh, what did you say, Nick? Uh, just a minute. Quiet, quiet, quiet. Now, let me think. Things from the island. Uh, 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 Nicky, not... Nicky. Ellen? Nicky, I can explain. Now, was there a man on that island with you? Uh, what island? You know what island? Oh, that island. Or uh, was there a man with you? Uh, pardon me, dear. Well, was it? Wait a minute. Where are you going? Out. Out where? For a shave and a haircut. <laughs> yeah. 
Ladies and gentlemen, I bring you an invitation. An invitation to examine the fine new Ford for 1951. It's on display now at your neighborhood Ford dealers, and we want you to see it. We want you to drive it, because this car is the finest Ford ever produced. It's a quality car. A car that's designed and built to give you lasting satisfaction in the years ahead. When you inspect the 1951 Ford, you'll find that it offers 43 look-ahead features. Features that will keep it young in performance, young in style for years to come. Among them, you'll find the new automatic ride control for an easy ride, a level ride. The automatic mileage maker for real fuel economy. And new luxury lounge interiors with rich color harmonized Ford Craft fabrics. We invite you to see all 43 look-ahead features of this great new Ford for 1951 at your Ford dealers tomorrow. You are listening to the Screen Director's Playhouse the Thursday night feature of NBC's All-Star Festival. The third act of My Favorite Wife will continue after a brief pause for station identification. for the third act of the Screen Director's Playhouse production of My Favorite Wife, starring Cary Grant as Nick and Irene Dunn as Ellen. Nicholas Arden is not a happy man. Wife number one has fled he knows not where, leaving behind only the thought that she has spent seven years on a desert island with another man. And wife number two sits glaring beside him as their car travels through the ghastly night. Nicholas Arden, don't you think you owe me an explanation? Yes, I do. Well? I can't think of one. <clears throat> oh, well, Bianca, you must think I behave very strangely. I certainly do. Mm. It runs in the family. The night my father was married, he pitched horseshoes until four o'clock in the morning. I don't care about your father. We've driven all night and all day without a stop. Well. Now it's night again. Mother never forgave him. Pitched horseshoes all night. Never won a single game. Oh. <laughs> Chinch? Yes, am Timmy? Yes, am No more stories. Not even one? No, it's time for bed. We have to go to bed, Grandma. If Ellen says you do, you do. Mm. Off with you now. Brush your teeth and wash your faces. Come on, Timmy. I guess we got her. It ain't fair. Isn't fair. Ellen, dear, don't you think that they should know you're their mother? Oh, I'll tell them. I'm just afraid, I guess. Well, do you want Nick to tell them? No. No, I'll do it. Oh, there's Nick's car. Here they are. Ah. All right. Now, have you got it straight? Mm -hmm. 
You'll introduce me as an old friend of the family from the South. Well, here we are. Hello. Coming, Nick. Let's go. Nick, aren't you going to carry me over the threshold? Why, there he is now. Oh, no. Oh, my, my, my. Look at that, Aunt Jemima. <laughs> Let me give the bridegroom a great big sisterly kiss well, just ju for luck. <laughs> All right, sister, he's lucky enough. There. Uh, hello, Bianca. Uh, now, this is an old friend of the family from Virginia. Yes, uh, her name is... Uh, <clears throat> her name is Effie, uh, and you're the bride. Yes, she is. Now, you just run along home, Effie. Now, I I'm visiting here. Nick, I'm still waiting. Waiting? What for? The threshold. Oh. Uh, go on, carry over the threshold, Nicky, oh. darling. All right, well, here goes. Uh, isn't he just too sweet for words? He's just a doll. Over the threshold, Bianca. Nick! Oh. Oh. <laughs> I tripped on Effie. It was my clumsy old foot. Well, are you all right, dear? Let me help you up, dear. Oh, I'm so sorry. Will you all forgive me? I hope that doesn't mean bad luck. Nothing could give this marriage a worse start than it already has. Oh, isn't that nice? Oh, not stop it. <laughs> I'm just crazy about your husband. Crazy about him. He was the dullest boy you ever did see until he got gawky. Don't you think he's gawky? I think he's gawky. <laughs> I wasn't aware that I gawked. Please, Nick, I'm awfully tired. Well, let me show you to your room. Nick will show me. Oh, Nick and I want to talk over old times, don't we? No, we don't, we. <laughs> we can do it right here if you want. Nicky, remember the night we were married? Bianca, Bianca, <laughs> why don't you go up to bed? Are you coming? Uh... In a minute, yes. I'll send Sugar Plum up just as soon as I'm through with them. No, why don't you hush your big mouth? <laughs> now, don't make me mad, honey child, or I'll blab my head off. Bianca, uh, I'll see you upstairs. Oh, good night. Good night, y'all. Sweet dreams. <laughs> oh, Nick, you're in a terrible pickle, aren't you? You haven't told her yet. No, I haven't. And what about that, that, that Stephen Burkett? You ran out fast enough and I brought up that topic of oh, conversation. Well, I can explain about him. Seven years on an island together. Why didn't you tell me? Well, I knew you'd fly to conclusions. Well, after seven years, there's no place else to fly to. <laughs> Little old Stephen. Are you jealous of him? Oh, please, stop talking as though he were a casual acquaintance. Poor Stephen. He broke his leg getting on the island. It took a whole year to mend. Hmm. What about the other six years? Nick, if you could only meet him, you'd see how silly you are. Silly? What's so silly? Well, he's such a little man. I don't think he weighs over 120 pounds, and he spent most of his time pursuing his hobby. What hobby? Nature. <laughs> no, I mean, I mean flowers and plants oh. and things. Oh, Nick, he's so harmless. After all, a man over 60. Over 60? Yes, darling. Well, why didn't you tell me? Well, I, I'd ha I had a hunch you'd carry on this way. Nick, are you coming up? 
Coming right up. Nick Arden, I should feel insulted. You cross-examining me this way while that woman yells for my husband in my house. Oh, yes. Well, the poor girl thinks she's married just because we had a wedding ceremony. <laughs> Coming. Nick, are you going to tell her? Sure. When? Now. Stout fellow. Oh, that's me. Kiss goodnight. Right. Mm. Oh, you Casanova, you. <laughs> Nick, I'm waiting. Nick. Nick, I just want to know one thing. Do you love me? Bianca, you're one of the most attractive girls I've ever met. I'm your wife! Well, that's what I was coming to. Bianca, in the course of human events, it sometimes happens that two people get all fouled up. Oh, for the love of heaven, tell me what's wrong with me. Oh, nothing, Bianca. Believe me, under other circumstances, who knows? Oh, <laughs> Well, now, now, look, let's, let's start at the beginning. Once there was a man who met a girl. I'm the man and you're the girl. Now, see? Isn't that simple? <laughs> What are you trying to say? Well, just this. Oh, the doorbell's ringing. Be right back. Yes? Yes? Hi. I suppose you're Nick. I suppose I am. Glad to meet you. Shake. Oh, how do you do? Oh, oh hurt your hand? <laughs> Don't know my own strength. Who are you? I'm Adam from the island. Adam? <laughs> I guess Ellen hasn't told you about our nicknames. Nickname. I'm Stephen Burkett. <gasps> you are Stephen Burkett? Yeah. Guess we've got a lot in common, huh? <laughs> oh, undoubtedly. Not... Tell me, this, this, this nickname business, what did you call Ellen? Eve. Eve. <laughs> Adam and Eve. What else? Oh, that's clever. Say, uh, uh, you mind if I come in? Kind of a low door you've got there. Almost bumped my head. Oh, at 120 pounds, Mr. Burkett, you would have made it easily. Ah, <laughs> uh, you're kidding me. I wouldn't kid you, Mr. Burkett. My, but you look amazingly spry for a man of 60. <laughs> I'm not 60. You're not? Well, that is a surprise. And how is your broken leg, Mr. Burkett? But I didn't break my leg, old man. I'm sorry. Once I, uh, once I sprained my toe and I kicked an alligator... Oh, sure. Kick. Now imagine a nature lover like you kicking an alligator. Nick, come up here. Yes, Bianca. What was that? Well, that was a female alligator calling to her mate. <laughs> you see, you see, Adam, you don't mind if I call you Adam. Oh, not at all. Well, you see, Adam, I too am part of nature. The part that goes over the fence last. <laughs> now listen to me, Adam. All I've got to say is that if you spent seven years on an island with my wife, I'm in trouble. We'll return to our drama in just a moment. Right now, here's a word from RCA Victor. You remember the wonderful one-horse Shay? It ran a hundred years to a day, but then went to pieces all at once and nothing first. 
just as bubbles do when they burst. Well, many of us depend on radios and phonographs practically in the one-horse-shea class. Faithful servants, but mighty pathetic beside new models. Don't wait till yours do that final bubble dance. Replace them now and save money. When you visit your RCA Victor dealer to buy your million-proof television set, buy it in a magnificent RCA Victor combination unit, accompanied by two superb new radios, AM and FM, and two superb new phonographs, which play all record speeds. You'll pay far less for these five wonderful instruments combined in one beautiful cabinet than you'd pay for them separately. And, of course, right down the line in all of them, you'll get that matchless quality which has made RCA Victor world leader in radio, first in recorded music, first in television. Now back to our story, My Favorite Wife, starring Irene Dunn and Cary Grant. Once again, the fates look down and laugh at Nicholas Arden as he tiptoes to the door of Ellen Arden, wife number one. The fates laugh, and Nick taps on the door. Nick! Shh, shh. I was just going to bed. Mm. Ellen, I'd like you to tell me again about Stephen Burkett. Poor old Stephen. With the broken leg. <laughs> 120 pounds. Uh-huh. 60 years old. <laughs> Nature lover. <laughs> Poor little old Adam. Adam? Yeah, Adam. That puny half pint is downstairs standing on his hands just for exercise. Stephen, here. Adam and Eve. I suppose I'm just the viper in the Garden of Paradise. <laughs> you are not. You're the apple. Nick, where are you? She's the viper. Now, why did you lie to me about... Nick, I did nothing on that island to be ashamed of. Well, what did you do for seven years? Swat tsetse flies? (laughs) I heard your voices in here, and I thought I'd just pop in and say hello. Well, you can just pop right out again. My wife's dressed for bed. Oh, I've seen her in a lot less than that, haven't I, (laughs) Eve? Yes, but it was pretty foggy most of the time. Oh, no time to talk about the weather. Now, see here, old man, there's no cause to get excited. Mm, my whole life is falling apart, and I can't even get excited in my own home. What are you doing here, anyway? I was lonely for Eve. After all, we used to see quite a bit of each other. Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> I might as well state my case right now, old man. I love your wife. Steve. I can't help it, Eve. You're an extraordinary woman. If Nicholas doesn't want you, I do. Do you want me, Nick? I'm not so sure. Nick! Bianca, it's time you knew. I'm a married man. What are you doing in this woman's room? She's no woman. She's my wife. (laughs) I'm your wife. Nick, what are you trying to do? Yes, Nick, explain to us. What are you trying to do? What have you got to do with this, Effie? Yes, Nick, what's Effie got to do with this? (laughs) What's going on here? Am I going crazy? I've been trying to tell you, Bianca. This is my wife, Ellen. The dead one? Oh, she's pretty lively. I can vouch for that. You see how the... <laughs> Bianca, 
got to face it. My wife, Ellen, came back. All a mistake. We'll, we'll laugh about it someday. Ha, 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 ha. Bigamist. Oh. I'm seeing my lawyer in the morning. Nicholas Arden, you deserve that slap. Why did I? All I did was tell her the truth. Well, the poor girl's in love with oh. you. And what do you do? You walk all over. What I want to know is which one of us gets Eve. Stop calling my wife Eve. He doesn't like it, Adam. Now, stop that. He's just jealous, making mountains out of molehills. Mm, some molehill, a desert island. Which one of us do you want, Eve? Choose your mate. I'm strong and healthy. I'm just gawky. <laughs> well, I'll have to think about it's it. It's against the law for you to think. You're legally dead. Oh, well, we'll see about that tomorrow. Good. In court. Right. Bigamist. <laughs> I'm a victim of circumstances. Here I am. I used to bigger me, but I'm not a man. don't I know you? Hmm? I say, don't I know you? Well, you married me, Your Honor. Oh, yes, you're the lawyer. This is a civil court, Mr. Arden. We don't handle bigger me here. What kind of lawyer are you? What school did you go to? Harvard, Your Honor. I'm a Yale man myself. <laughs> Where's the Kistler's bride? Here, Your Honor. Bianca Bates. You're sure you're Kistler? Ask this miserable worm I was married to. She's Kistler's, Your Honor. Harvard man. <laughs> I want an annulment. You're granted. This is the happiest day of my life. You know, I used to know a girl who looked just like her. She's old neckties. <laughs> Your Honor, what about Ellen Wagstaff Harden? What about her? Well, you declared her legally dead. Yeah, so I did. This Harvard man here prepared the brief. But I'm not dead, Your Honor. Well, what do you want me to do, reverse myself? You go to the Court of Appeals. They're always reversing me anyway. Uh, if Your Honor pleases, I can point out the pertinent facts yeah, now, in the brief. Now, just a moment, John. Now, you see, right here and here. Uh, Ellen. Uh, <clears throat> Ellen, what about it? Will you marry me? Oh, Stephen, yeah, thank you so much. Like but it's Nick. All right, Ellen. I try. You, Mr. Arden, get off my lap. I don't need you to show me how to read a brief. You get down there with that woman. Yes, Your Honor. Well, you see, I have here a precedent for this case. I cite Mulligan versus Mulligan Benson in the city of Fresno, 1879. Yeah, are you going to complicate this thing? No, Your Honor. You see, the first wife returned after an absence of considerable length to find that her husband, Mr. Mulligan, had remarried. He remarried. But Mrs. Mulligan Benson, or rather Mrs. Benson Mulligan, the second wife... I, I don't understand this at all. Well, it was a sort of a Mulligan stew. <laughs> Young woman, I could hold you in contempt of court for that remark. Don't let me get after you. Yeah, well, well, Your Honor, when the first wife returned, the second wife immediately sued for annulment, which yeah. left Mr. Mulligan free to remarry either the first wife or the second wife, Mrs. Mulligan Manson, you see? Well, don't just stand there gawking. What did he do? Oh, he dropped dead of cirrhosis of the liver. <laughs> They never did find out whether he slept with his beard over the covers or under the covers. Now that remark is going to cost you $25. Uh, but, Your Honor, I I'm legally dead. All right, you're legally alive. And make it $50. Pay the clerk. Court's adjourned. Thank you, Your Honor. I want to go home and tell my wife about this case. She thinks most of my cases are dull. I still don't understand. 
Well, Ellen. <laughs> Here you are, alive and kicking. Now you and Adam can get back to nature. Nick, aren't you ashamed of yourself saying a thing like that? Why? An hour ago, I was a bigamist. Now I don't have any wife at all. Not one single solitary wife. Well, it's your own fault. What did I do? You were a jealous brute. Oh, well, I've got a right to be jealous. Ellen, you know, I'll have to think this whole thing over very carefully. Isn't it? Maybe you'll make up your mind to forgive me for not drowning. Oh, well, it isn't that. It... Well, I've got some thinking to do myself, and I'm not so sure I want you the way you're acting. Well, Ellen, it's not that I don't love you, but... Yes, that you don't approve of me. No, Nick. I'll have to consider this carefully. I'd like to take the children, go away for a few weeks, and that way we'd get to know each other better, and then I could tell them I'm their mother, and I can think about us. Where are you going to go? I don't know. The hotel in Yosemite, I guess. How are you going to get there? Oh, drive. Well, in this weather? Oh, it's not so bad with tire chains. Oh, no, not with the kids. I'll, I'll drive you myself. Well, if you want to. I think I'll stay until Christmas. That'll give us both time to make sure we know what we want. Leave tomorrow? Yes, tomorrow. Front, these bags to room 112. Now, sir, what can I do for you? My name is Mr. Pentwhistle. I'm Nicholas Arden. You? I brought my family. Mr. Arden, this is a hotel, not a harem. Just one wife, Mr. Pentwhistle. Me. What happened to the other one? Or um, am I being nosy? She was annulled yesterday morning. Well, congratulations. Now, I'd like two rooms. One for my wife and one for our two children. Uh, children? Where did they come from? Uh, Mr. Pentwish. Mr. How would it be if I just told you the story of my life? My wife wouldn't approve. <laughs> now, we have just two rooms left. They're adjoining. Sign here, please. Right. Oh, Ellen, where are the kids? They're admiring the big Christmas tree. Ginch, Timmy... Pretty tree. They've even got a model of Santa Claus, all dressed up as big as a man. Mr. E.B., please take Mr. Arden to his rooms and warn the chambermaids. I won't be staying. I'm driving back tonight. Don't you want to see the Santa Claus, Daddy? At this moment, dear, I don't think your father really believes in Santa Claus. <laughs> I just said goodbye to the children. Oh, golly, I'm tired. I think I'll go to bed. Have a good drive back, Nick. Oh, sure, sure. I'll have to be careful. Awfully dark at night. Oh, I'm so tired. So cozy in here. Cold outside, too. <laughs> well, you'd better start now. Mm, you sure you don't want me to... Uh... To what? No, stay with the children. Just tonight. No room. Well, we are married... But we agreed that everything is suspended until Christmas. Oh, yeah, Christmas. This is just the 7th of December. And... Yes, yes. Well, good well, night, Nick. Good night. I hope I get back all right. Well, I'm sure you will. Yeah. Well, goodbye. 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 Nick! Yes, Ellen? <laughs> I just wanted to say goodbye. Oh, goodbye. Change, Timmy. We were just going... We were just going to bed. Well, I... I want you to sit down. You too, Timmy. Sure. I want to tell you something about your mummy. We're listening. Well, it's just... Well, we're all staying together, and I love you both very, very much. And that's because I think you're, you're wonderful children, and, and besides, you see, I used to know you a long, long time ago. And... Uh, Go on, Mommy. 
What did you say? Well, you are our mother, aren't you? You you knew? We eavesdropped on you and Grandma. Oh, you kids, come here. Hello, Mother. Mommy. What an armful you two are. Adam! Oh, you two get into bed. Adam, it's Nick. Go, go on now. Good night, Mommy. Good night. Good night, Timmy. Well, is something wrong? Car won't start. <laughs> Are you sure? Positive. Well, then, I, I guess you'll have to stay in the hotel for the night. Tried. No rooms left. Well, what are you going to do? Sleep in the snow. Thought you'd like to know. Well, maybe I can help you. Can you, Ellen? I'll give you a blanket. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. <clears throat> What's that? Oh, chest. Doesn't mean anything. Oh, well... <clears throat> Good night. Nice room you have here. Yes, I like it. Nice bed. Fine bed. Room for two. Oh, plenty of room. <laughs> Good night, Nick. But what about me? What about you? Well, what about me staying? Where? Here. Oh, no, couldn't do that. Wouldn't be any trouble. Well, the principle of the thing. Oh, I could even sleep on the floor. Oh, could you? No, no bother to you. None at all. Oh, well. Oh, come in. Thank you. <laughs> oh, no. The, uh, the floor? Hmm? The floor. Uh, Ellen. Hmm? Are you comfortable? Very. I'm cold. Are you cold? <laughs> no, I'm not cold. Go to sleep, Nick. I can't. Sleeping on this floor is like sleeping on a board. Well, we'll talk about it at Christmas time. Oh. It's a long time till Christmas. Eighteen days. Well, you don't care. You're not even sure you want me. Yes, I am. Now, be quiet. You'll wake the children. Christmas? Christmas. Timmy. Yes, Ginch? I hear a man's voice in Mommy's room. Maybe it's Daddy. Somebody just left. Let's see. It is Daddy. Where's he going? Let's follow him and find out. He's going to the Christmas tree. He's taking the Santa Claus. No, he isn't either. He's just taking the Santa Claus suit. <laughs> now what's he doing? He's putting it on. Now what's he doing? He just stubbed his toe. I wonder what he's putting the Santa Claus suit on for. Daddy is sure strange sometimes. Oh. Maybe he's just going to surprise Mommy. Nick. Are you asleep, Nick? Nick? Nick! Oh, where's that darn light? Nick! Merry Christmas! Merry Christmas! Oh, Nick! Ah, yeah, well, 
Christmas comes but once a year, and this is it. Come out from behind those whiskers. Come here, darling. Are we married? Yes, it's Christmas. Ah, Merry Christmas, Ellen. Merry Christmas to all. And to all, a good night. Thank you, Terry Grant and Irene Dunn. Our stars of My Favorite Wife will return in just a moment with our guest director, Leah McCary. Say, what happens at Bing Crosby's house when the Bob Hope program comes on? Well, here's Bing to tell us about it. By the way, Bing, did you happen to catch Bob Hope's program? Oh, Ken, the Bob Hope show is an absolute must in the Crosby household. Good. Every Tuesday night, we all gulp our dinner down, then we dash madly for the radio. We all sit in a semicircle, and we, we pay strict attention. Hmm? The first one to laugh has to wash the dishes. <laughs> Next week, the Screen Director's Playhouse brings you a great actress and a swiftly rising young star, paired in one of Hollywood's most fascinating psychological dramas. Our story is The Lady Gambles, directed by Michael Gordon. And our stars are Barbara Stanwyck and Stephen McNally. Now, here again are tonight's stars, Irene Dunn and Cary Grant. You know, Cary, we've got a friend to introduce. Yeah, well, there's no use beating around the bush with this fellow. All right, Cary, he's a producer. And the Academy Award-winning director of such pictures as The Awful Truth. Yes, Cary and I win that one together. Mm -hmm. And Love Affair and Going My Way. And he was also the producer of the picture we adapted tonight, My Favorite Wife. Ladies and gentlemen, Leo McCary. Thank you, but I'd better clear up something right now. Since I was only the producer on My Favorite Wife, I'm just pinch-hitting tonight for the director, Garson Kanan. Oh, my, such disarming modesty. Only no, really, Carrie, I think there are times when the producer of a film gets entirely too much credit. When do you feel like that? When I'm directing. <laughs> <laughs> no, Irene, the poor man's personality is spit right down the middle. Very handy in our business, Carrie. <laughs> it allows a guy to appraise his own handiwork. All right, appraise My Favorite Wife. Well, Garson Kanan's direction was the epitome of comedy. The acting, well, the acting spoke for itself tonight. Irene, you were superb. Uh -huh. Carrie, you were positively brilliant. The two of you were just scintillating. Oh, come on, Leo. I wouldn't go that so far. I only said things that were written for me. Well, that's all I'm doing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just reading what's written here myself. Oh, now, wait a minute. No, we all have one more line, Leo. We have? Uh-huh. Good night. Good night. <laughs> So ends tonight's Screen Director's Playhouse, the Thursday night feature on NBC's All-Star Festival, brought to you by the makers of Anison for the fast relief from the pain of headache, neuritis, and neuralgia, your local Ford dealer who is now displaying the new 1951 Ford, the car that's built for the years ahead, and RCA Victor, world leader in radio, first in recorded music, first in television. Meet all the gang at Duffy's Tavern tomorrow night on NBC. There probably have been some marriages with that problem, a spouse missing long enough to be declared legally dead and then turning up in time to throw a second wedding into turmoil. That was my favorite wife, Screen Director's Playhouse from December 7, 1950. It was probably the title that uh, Lucille Ball and Richard Denning played on with their radio comedy series My Favorite Husband, which was kind of a forerunner for TV's I Love Lucy. 
In a supernatural vein, Noel Coward's play Blythe Spirit has the ghost of Elvira trying to disrupt husband Charles' marriage to his second wife. Yet to come, The Green Hornet and the Shadow, here on Skywave Audio Theater. As we'll hear shortly, loose lips sink ships. At a time when there was real danger in the world, radio listeners took comfort in hearing about imaginary dangers. As Lenora Case and her friend are about to discover, the line between real and imaginary can be fuzzy. But since Lenora's in the newspaper business, some of her associates uh, think there might be a story in Lenora's unsettling experience. Don't forget about that sixth war loan drive. From December 5th, 1944, this is the Green Hornet with The Haunt of the Hunted. The Green Hornet. He hunts the biggest of all game, public enemies who try to destroy our America. Faithful Filipino valet Cato, Britt Reed, daring young publisher, matches wits with racketeers and saboteurs, risking his life that criminals and enemy spies will feel the weight of the law by the sting of the Green Hornet. Ride with Britt Reed in the thrilling adventure Haunts of the Hunted. The Green Hornet strikes again. Navy and FBI asked you to do something to help save the lives of your fighting men, you'd do it, wouldn't you? All right, here's a simple rule to follow. Never tell where, how, or when. Where our soldiers, ships, and planes are going, how they're going, or when they're going. And watch out for how many and what kind. If the enemy finds out how many troops are going, or what kind of ships are sailing, thousands of American lives may be lost on some battlefront. So if you hear it from someone, don't repeat it. If you see it yourself, don't repeat it. But if you read it in your newspaper or hear it over your radio, you're free to talk about it. Always think before you talk. Remember, careless talk costs lives. And now, the Green Hornet. Case, secretary to Britt Reed, young publisher of the Daily Sentinel, looked up from the work on her desk as Mike Axford, erstwhile reporter, entered her office. Here it is, Casey. Just like you wanted. Practically the first paper off the press of this edition. Oh, thanks, Axford. I'll do you a favor someday. Here, let me have it. Ah, here you are. Here you are. Uh, say now, 
Why are you so anxious to get that paper, I'd like to know? Oh, you're always curious, aren't you? Well, the reason I wanted you to get this is because I have a girlfriend who's trying to find a house to rent. I promised to get hold of the paper before it got on the street and see if there was anything advertised. See? Oh, so that's it. That's it. Hmm. Here's something. Small suburban estate, six miles from heart of city on North Pike. On left, just beyond highway crossroads. Very reasonable rent, unfurnished, caretaker on premises. Well, Elaine and her family might like that. Anyway, it won't hurt for her to look at it. Well, she'd better get to move on if she doesn't want a dozen out there before her. No, I'll phone her right away. See, it's after five now. She can pick me up and I'll ride out with her. I do hope she gets it. She's almost frantic looking for a place. Well, I'd better hurry and phone her. This looks like the place, Elaine. That is, it's the only place on the left since we passed Highway Crossroads. I guess so. Well, I'm glad we got here before it was too dark to see the outside. My goodness, Nanora. A stone house like that must rent for more than I can afford to pay. Well, we can soon find out. There's a detached garage with lights up over it. That must be where the caretaker lives. <laughs> I hope he doesn't go with the house. We surely couldn't afford that. Well, drive on in and we'll talk to him. After coming all the way out here, we... Might as well get the details. You say the rental's only $75? $75. That's right. Why, I'm almost tempted to take it sight unseen. You go in. See house. It's dark inside. Are the lights working? No current on. You take this. Oh, you have a flashlight. Well, lead the way and we'll follow. I'm not going. Take this. You go. Why, I thought you were going to show us around. I'm not going. Maybe you not want house. Oh, of course I want a house. I just couldn't understand why you won't go in with us. You'll find out reason soon, maybe. I'm not go. Well, give me the flashlight then. We'll go look the place over alone. Lenore, do you think we should? What? Well, why not? Certainly there's nothing to be afraid of. If our Chinese friend doesn't want to come along, well, let's go. All right. I do want to see it. It was only Yeah, that... you see with this. I'll be in garage when you leave. Thanks. Yes. Come on, Elaine. My, this is a lovely hall, isn't it? There's so much dust. It must have been vacant for some time. Yes. I guess that's the living room in there. Oh! <laughs> that was the front door. We left it open and the wind blew it shut, I guess. Well, maybe. Only, only I don't remember it being windy out. Oh, now look here, Elaine. Don't tell me you're nervous about going through this empty house. After all, you might even live here soon. I'm just the jumpy type, I guess. I, I keep thinking of what that Chinaman said. What do you mean? Well, when I said I didn't understand why he wouldn't show us through, he... He said we'd soon find out. Oh, that. Oh, he probably didn't mean anything by it. Look, isn't that a nice broad staircase? Let's look up there first. All right. Lenore. Well, what's the matter now? Listen. <laughs> what? 
Well, that sounds like a bit of wind to me. Come on, let's go up. Wait a minute. Now what? That sound, it's getting louder, Lenore. And it sounds as though it's right inside the house with us. Oh, nonsense. If there any wind in here, the dust would be swirling about it. It's gotten windy outside, that's all. Well, it certainly came up all of a sudden then, because it was nice and clear out just a moment ago. Oh, you never can tell about wind. Say, if you keep on, you'll be giving me the jitters, too. We came to look at this house, remember? Well, I... All right, you go on up. You know, Elaine, I... I think this would be just the right size house for a... Lenore! all around us, yet I don't feel a breeze stirring. We'd better get out of here right now. There must be some explanation for it, Elaine. After all, there's no such thing as a... Oh, oh, oh. I don't know, but we're leaving right now. Come on. short time later, Lenore Case was in the city room of the Sentinel building, telling of her experiences out at the vacant house. Oh, believe me, I'm certainly glad to be back here at the Sentinel. Poor Elaine was scared to death almost. Ah, ah, ah. Sure, and to my way of thinking, it was only your imagination, Casey, that it was. Moaning winds and howling banshees. Oh, 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 oh. oh phooey. Oh, is that phooey. so? I hear you blowing a lot of wind around here, Axford, and it doesn't scare me. There's something out there that is scary, and the further I stay away, the better. Have you any idea what might be out there? No, Mr. Gunnigan, I haven't. Maybe Axford went out there ahead of you and made all those noises, Casey. What's <laughs> <laughs> the joke? Anything I should hear? Oh, oh hey, please, please. No It's no joke, boss. Only it seems that Miss Case had a run-in with a haunted house. <laughs> a haunted house, huh? Where'd all this take place? Uh, the place out of North Pike. I went to look at it with a friend. It was advertised for rent. Gives me the creeps just to think about it. Come now, there's no such thing as a haunted house, Miss Case. There must be some logical explanation for whatever frightened you away. Well, maybe so, but well, I phoned Sergeant Burke and told him about it. You did? What did Burke have to say? Are they going to investigate? Hey, hold on, one at a time. Sergeant Burke said they'd already investigated the place. Already investigated? What do you know about the now, let Miss Case tell us what Burke said. Well, Sergeant Burke said that the house had been up for rent before. And he said that people had called the police to investigate. And, well, they did so and found nothing wrong. Oh, you see there? That bears out what I said. It was all your imagination. That's what it was. That's what you think. Burke also said that place is part of an estate in the hands of a local bank. Oh, the ad was put in by the bank then. Yes, Mr. Reed. The experiences of other people have given it a name of being a haunted house. They can neither sell nor rent the place. So you see, Axford, I wasn't the only one who had a terrifying experience out there. There's no such thing as ghosts. And without ghosts, you can't have a haunted house, Casey. Well, that makes sense, Mike, but Miss Case's experience certainly doesn't. Hey, I got an idea. Oh, oh. All right, spell it, Lowry. Why not have Mike Axford investigate that house and run a story on it? That is, if anything happens. <laughs> sure, why not? Mike, you've got an assignment. Who, me? No, wait a minute, wait a minute. If you <laughs> What's the think matter, I'm scared, Mike? Huh? <laughs> <laughs> What's that? Me scared? Wish no. Don't belittle me good common sense, Ed Lowry. Fine. Go on out there and see what you can find out, Mike. Maybe you'd better get somebody to go along with you. Now, see here, Reed. Do I have to go ghost hunting? Just Gunnigan City Elder here, Mike. He's telling you what to do. <laughs> get a picture of the ghost if you can. Ah, 
I'll show you. I'll show all of you. Now, Cassidy will be off duty tonight. I'll just get him to run out there with me to prove the place ain't haunted. <laughs> and in that case, there'll be no story anyway. At least I'll show you that Mike Ashford ain't afraid of such things. That I will. And before the night's over, I'll put you to shame at Lowry's. That I will. <laughs> Later that evening, Britt Reed stood at the city desk talking to Gunnigan. Uh, anything new, Gunnigan, for the next edition? Yeah, boss. We got some coffee from the FBI about another escaped Nazi prisoner, the second one this week. They trailed both of them to the city here, but lost track of them. Well, give it a play on the front page so the public will be wise and keep a lookout for them. Okay, boss. Hi, Chief. Has Axford come back here? Axford? Mike hasn't come back from that haunted house trip yet, Ed. Why? Well, uh, to tell the truth, Gunnigan, I, uh... Well, uh... I decided to give Mike a scare out there, so I followed him and Cassidy to the house on North Pike. Well, I suppose all you've got to do around here is to waste your time playing jokes on Mike Axford. Now, wait a minute and listen yeah. to me, will you? Well, we're listening, Ed. Well, they went out there and saw the caretaker and went into the house. I hung around outside waiting for a chance to sneak in and make a little noise or something, see? Yeah, so what? So all of a sudden, Cassidy comes busting out by himself. When I called to him, he says, did you see Mike come out? I said, no. Then he says, that's funny. Mike went upstairs to look around while I looked around downstairs. When I went looking for him, he's gone. Well, just, uh, just what did Cassidy mean by that? Just that, Chief. We went back in and looked all through the house, but Mike Axford wasn't in there. We decided he knew I was following and gave us a slip and came back here. Well, he hasn't come back, and he's been gone long enough to rout out Caesar's ghost, if you ask me. Well, how could Mike have gotten back to town, Ed? Oh, we thought maybe he hitched a ride back somehow. Well, did Cassidy say they saw or heard anything unusual out there? Nope. Just an empty house, that's all. Well, did the caretaker think they were trying to, uh, trying to rent the place, do you know? No. Uh, Cassidy showed his badge and said they just wanted to look around. Oh, I see. Funny Mike didn't get here. I thought sure he'd be here when I got back. How'd he expect us to run a newspaper with our reporters running around all evening playing jokes on one another while other papers are out getting news? For two pins... Now, take it I... easy, Cunningham. Oh. Now, wait till Mike gets back and see what he has to say. Okay, boss. I'm waiting. Ed, come on over here and see if there's anything you can do to fix up this story. Uh, sure, Gunnigan. Uh, boss, I'm sorry about following Mike, but... Uh, well, I just got the urge. Leaving his office at the Sentinel Building, Britt Reed went to his apartment, where Cato, his faithful Filipino valet, and the only person knowing his identity as the Green Hornet, was waiting. Britt Reed explained the situation to Cato and voiced certain suspicions which were in his mind. Then you suspect Axford still at Haunted House, Mr. Breed? That's what I intend to find out, Cato. Black Beauty ready. Also, Gascon and Mask. Good. Let's not waste time, then. Come on. We'll continue our Green Hornet adventure in just a moment. Now until December 16th, the 6th War Loan Drive is on. As an individual, you're asked to buy at least an extra $100 war bond. Think back for a minute. One nation indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. The boys who chorused those words of allegiance in grammar school some 15 years ago know now what they mean. They know because they've seen thousands of their buddies die so that our children can learn them and say them in a free America. What are those words worth to you? Are they worth the price of an extra $100 war bond? Of course they are. 
It's worth that little extra bit of money to ensure your right to pledge your allegiance to this country. So buy bonds and back the sixth war loan. And now, back to the Green Hornet. through a secret panel in the rear of a closet in his bedroom, Britt Reed and Cato went along a narrow passageway built within the walls of the apartment itself. This passage led to an adjoining building which fronted on a dark side street. Though supposedly abandoned, this building served as the hiding place for the sleek, super-powered Black Beauty, streamlined car of the Green Hornet. You intend to go into house without knowledge of caretaker? Yes, for reasons which I'll tell you about later. And I hope we run into a few of the ghosts that are responsible for the reputation that house has gained. Maybe ghosts not like to meet Green Hornet. Well, the ghosts we're looking for will put up a fight no matter who it is they meet. Let's go, Cato. Britt Reed pressed a button. The great car roared into life. A section of the wall in front raised automatically, then closed as the gleaming black beauty sped into the darkness. on North Pike, Britt Reed and Cato hid the black beauty in a clump of trees on the side road. Then, cautiously approaching the house, it was but a matter of minutes until they stood inside at the foot of the stairway. I'm sure the caretaker didn't see us under that window, Cato. And now we'll have a good... I hear a noise like wind. There are no wind outside. Yes, that means that somehow our presence here is known. You mean that they know? Well, that scream seemed to come from upstairs. Come on! Yes, Sounded like it came from this room here at the head of the stairs. Room empty. Now, wait. I'll flash this light around. Open door over there. Go into closet. Yes. Didn't notice anything there? Oh, it seemed like dust settling. Exactly. And that means that something or somebody went into that closet. We'll see. Well, the closet's empty. You but... expect to find something, maybe? Yes. Maybe the same thing we have in my closet at the apartment. <laughs> yes, I'm sure of... See? That panel gives a little. Now, there must be a way to open it. You look around. Now, wait, there's a smudge in the dust on the side mold. I'll try to move it. That's it. A passageway. Hmm. Doesn't seem to lead to anything but a blank wall. You wait there a minute. I'll look around here. Be careful. Make sure no one comes into that room while I'm gone. Help! 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 I'm coming. What happened? Where are you? Green Hornet going to this passageway. Just blank wall at end of passage. But Green Hornet, he'll disappear. Cato was startled and worried by the sudden disappearance of Britt Reed in the blank passageway of the so-called haunted house. Then, realizing the need for quick action... He moved his flashlight swiftly about the passage. Oh, does tell me how Green Hornet disappear. Good thing we make plan in case anything happen. I go now quick. 
Green Hornet find out secret of Haunted House. But if something not done soon, they find out secret of Green Hornet. Must hurry. Meanwhile, Ed Lowry left the Sentinel building and went to police headquarters, where he was talking to Sergeant Burke. Look, Sarge, I didn't like to admit it to Gunnigan, but I'm getting kind of worried about Mike Axford. He should have showed up long ago. I say, Cassidy just come on duty a while ago. He was telling me about going out to that spooky house on the pike. <laughs> Do you mean to say Axford hasn't come back yet? That's right, Sarge. I was thinking maybe you'd take a run out to that place with me and see if we can locate him. <laughs> So you think the spooks got your pal Axford, huh? <laughs> well, if you ask me, the spooks would leave a haunted house the minute they laid eyes on that guy. Oh, lay off, Sarge. Mike's all right and you know it. Sure, sure, Lowry. It was only a bit of kidding I was handing you. Uh, I tell you what, we'll get Cassidy and the three of us are right out there in the squad car right now. Thanks, Sarge. Thanks a lot. If anything happened to that big lug, I, I'd feel pretty bad about it. Seeing as how I sort of put the B on him to go out there in the first place. Say now, Ed. You don't really think anything has happened to Axford, do you? Turned if I know, Sarge. As I said before, I'm plenty worried. <laughs> Great day, Lowry. Now you got me to worry him. Come on. We'll go out there and search that dump from top to bottom, spooks or no spooks. If Axford's there, we'll find him. You can bet on that. <laughs> at the empty house, immediately after his sudden disappearance from the passageway, Britt Reed found himself on the floor of a pitch-black enclosure. He searched about for his flashlight, and finding it, his glance followed its beam up the improvised slide, down which he had fallen a moment before. Hmm. Well, that's the time I should have watched my step. That's a well-oiled spring trap door up there. This seems to be an old wine closet I landed in. Oh, that heavy-looking door on this side must lead into some sort of hide. Oh, oh, trouble coming. I have gun. You come out, please. I have gun, too, Jap. You, the Green Hornet. Right. Him, who is this Green Hornet? He's dangerous and notorious criminal. Just as I suspect. One of the escaped Nazi prisoners. No doubt the others around here, too. Yes. You're right behind you, Hornet. With weapons pointed at your head. <laughs> this Green Hornet fellow is not so smart. We've trapped him. Well, the old gag of standing behind the door, huh? Yes, an old trick that worked. Drop that gun. What if I don't? Hans will shoot you down. Drop it or okay. he... Okay, you win. Since you are second person to discover a secret panel, our hideout is no longer safe. We shall dispose of both of you before we leave. <laughs> The fat one is tied up in the coal bin. <laughs> he was a doom cop, yeah. Stop, stop. <laughs> we have no time for after. Others may follow these two. Darn right they will, and all three of you will be caught. Oh, yes. The trapped rat always taunts the loudest, my honorable friend. Hans, Carl, go through the secret passage to the garage. Yeah, yeah. I shall dispose of this spying hornet and of the blustering fat one, too. We leave them in all coal bin for rat. Come, Carl. Yeah, shank and take care. Well, very clever. A secret passage to the garage. I've been clever enough to trap you, and now I'm going to kill you. Look out! You'll not shoot again. Good timing, fellas. Now to get my gun. You're leaving. Come, Carl. My mission is still accomplished when Nazi friends get away. They won't get far, and this is for you. But no, no. Such a dishonorable weapon. 
Gas! Gas gun! Now the other two. You I might... throw tear gas bomb in the other end of the passage. They not get far. We open door now. <laughs> My eyes! Carl! Carl, I can't! <laughs> we must get out! You look this way! Both of you rats! Come on! Come on! You should kill us! Don't shoot! This will do you both good! <laughs> more gas! Nothing, no more! Please! Yes, you too, Nazi! <laughs> Now, that door over there must be the coal bin. Take a quick peek in. Axford there. He not conscious. I take a quick look. How was he, Cato? Is he seriously oh, hurt? He'll be all right soon. What we do? Well, we can't leave him here. And yet we can't. The police. Hurry, go through that other door into the wine closet. There's a chute I came down in there. It has little cleats along one side of it. Climb up and fasten back the trap door on the secret panel. Yes, sir. In a hurry, like a flash. And I'll carry Axford out into the hideout, so they'll be sure to find him. There. When he came out to investigate the ghosts, he sure didn't expect to get a scoop like the one he'll be turning in tonight. Everything fixed. We better go now. Police coming into house. That passage ought to be pretty well cleared of the tear gas by now. Let's go. Good thing you made a plan before you disappear through trap door. Yes. Well, I suspected something was wrong out here since things happened only when someone came to rent the house. A good thing you suspect secret passage between garage and house. You were right about Nazis being there also. Well, that was just a hunch, Cato, but it panned out okay. Well, Axford will have a great story to tell. <laughs> I'm just waiting to hear it. Later that night, Britt Reed entered the city room and approached the desk where Gunnigan was working. Oh, say, Gunnigan, uh, hasn't Axford come back yet from that trip he made out to the house on the North Pike? No, but I sure heard from him, boss, and what a story. What a story. Wait till oh, I here hear... comes Mike now, and a bunch with him. Oh, hello, Reed. Well, Axford. Well, what on earth happened to you? What, did it take you all this time to run down a few ghosts? <laughs> and why the bandage on your head? Well, it's, it's to cover up a bump I got when I went down the chute. Down the chute? Yeah, Reed. You see... Oh, no, it's a long story. Read it in the sentinel. Now, say, is that any way Take to... it easy, Chief. Mike really had a time on it. That he did, Mr. Reed. It wasn't ghosts at all out there. It was a spy hiding them two Nazi prisoners, that it was. Hey, I don't get all this. What about the noises when Ort Case heard? And what Mike about the... Mike says that chap had a phonograph rigged up with a couple of sound records, like they use in radio. He played it up through the hot air furnace pipes so as it sounded like the sounds were all around the person. But Sergeant Burke... I thought you told Miss Case that place had been investigated. Sure, so it had been, Mr. Reed. But we wasn't looking for secret panels and trap doors in the floor and all that sort of thing. The hideout was a small section of the cellar that had been walled off from the rest so you'd never know it. So Axford ran into a spy's nest, huh? And all the time we thought... Well, we thought he was being kidded into rounding up a ghost story on that haunted house. Mike, you're awfully quiet about the whole thing. Does your head really bother you that much? Mr. Reed... It wasn't a spy's nest, really, that Mike fell into tonight. It was what you might call the hornet's nest. Mike's feeling bad because the leader got away. The leader? Well, I thought the whole bunch was caught. Not by a long shot, Chief. You know, when we busted in and found Mike, he had a hornet seal right in the middle of his forehead. And we heard the hornet car lead him, too. Well, what do you know? Well, I know this much, Reed. It was that sneaking hornet with his house-haunting friends... Who made me get smacked on the head? Well, I thought you said that happened when you fell down a shooter or a slide or something like that. Sure. But who tried to make a dope out of Michael Axford by putting such things in that house I'd like to know? Because nobody but that spalfiend, the Green Hornet. And someday, Reed, 
'Twill be him who'll wear a bandage on his head after I bop him on like that. No, no, look out, Mike. <laughs> you almost socked me that time. <laughs> Do I look like the hornet to you? <laughs> Reed, to tell the truth, you'd only be a ghost of a shadow if you were standing alongside that one. That you would. Nobody in this room's half as big as that conniving green hornet. <laughs> Immediately, 10,000 registered nurses for service in the Army Nurse Corps. This is an urgent need. Particularly needed are registered nurses, but those about to graduate and those who qualify as registered nurses and senior members of the U.S. Cadet Nurse Corps up to 45 years of age are needed by the Army immediately. Among the many fine advantages registered nurses will find in the Army Nurse Corps is the satisfaction of knowing that you are practicing your profession where it will do the most good. You enter with the rank of a second lieutenant, and there are many opportunities for advancement. Moreover, you will receive an initial allowance of $250 for uniforms and other essentials. So write today to the Surgeon General, U.S. Army, Washington, D.C. Be sure to listen to the Green Hornet next week at this time. These copyrighted dramas originate in the studios of WXYZ Detroit. All characters, names, places, and incidents are fictitious. Henry Stambaugh speaking. This is the Blue Network. It was in 1944 that Green Hornet actor Al Hodge went into the military, and for a time, Donovan Faust took over the role, and then it went to Bob Hall. Tokoturo Hayashi, renamed Raymond Toyo, was Cato. That was The Haunt of the Hunted, The Green Hornet from December 5, 1944. The creators of The Green Hornet put several discreet tie-ins between The Hornet and The Lone Ranger in the broadcasts of The Hornet, both of them, of course, coming from WXYZ in Detroit. The Green Hornet had his secret identity, and, for that matter, so did The Shadow, and he's next, rounding things out here on Skywave Audio Theater. The Shadow's longtime sponsor pulled no punches when it came to selling the product, so something more ghastly than the evils the Shadow took on. They will pose a horrific scenario that can be avoided with their treads. After that, things settled down to a fairly routine matter of life and death in the realm of the Shadow. Well, okay, not so routine for people who make too much noise, as it turns out. After Orson Welles left the shadow to spend more time with the Mercury Theater and other pursuits, Bill Johnstone won out, and uh, that over a lot of hopefuls in getting the role of the shadow. From December 4th, 1938, this is the shadow with murder in (laughs) E-flat.
hearts of men. The shadow knows. <laughs> the shadow's latest adventure begins, here's something every motorist should realize. When a child darts in front of your car, in 101 situations you're liable to meet on rainy days, it's the ability of your tires to stop quicker and safer that may mean the difference between life and death. It pays to play safe. Equip your car with the new Goodrich Safety Silvertown. This new kind of tire is the only tire that has the lifesaver tread. This amazing tread acts like a whole battery of windshield wipers, actually sweeps wet roads so dry you can light a match on its track. And that, in a nutshell, is the secret of why this new Silvertown gives the quickest non-skid stop you've ever seen. For safety's sake, get Goodrich Safety Silvertown. The Shadow serious character who devotes his life to righting wrongs, protecting the innocent, and punishing the guilty, is in reality Lamont Cranston, wealthy young man about town, student of science, and master of other people's minds. Using advanced methods that may ultimately become available to all law enforcement agencies, Cranston is known to criminals and evildoers as the shadow. Never seen, only heard, as haunting to superstitious minds as a ghost, as inevitable, as a guilty conscience. Cranston's friend and companion, the lovely Margot Lane, is the only person who knows to whom the unseen voice belongs. Today's story, Murder in E-Flat. Yeah, Chief. I, I thought it was cut off. Yeah, that's the place. That new swing joint on 50th Street. Had yeah, a jitterbug. Oh, nobody seems to know what happened. The band was playing and the joint just blew up. Now, we don't know yet how many were hurt. Our thing was we found a note nailed over the bar. It'll make much sense, though. Read it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure, here it is. It says, 
The only real music is the music of silence. Yes, funny business. Okay, I'll report back to headquarters as soon as the ambulance is Go on, Henry. Pass that car in front. But, my dear, I can't without crossing that white line, and besides... Oh, now, then make him pull over. Oh, Henry, blow your horn. But you're not supposed to blow your horn in the city, my dear. You know that. The anti-noise committee says... I don't that care what the anti-noise committee says. Blow your horn and make that fellow get over. Just as you say, my dear. Yes, officer. I was driving about 50 yards behind their car. Yeah? They started to swing out of line and blew their horn, and then it happened. This awful explosion. I tell you, I've yeah, never in all my... Yeah, but this note. Where'd you get this note? After the explosion, I noticed it lying in the front seat beside me. Somebody must have thrown it in through the window. What do you suppose it means, officer? Uh, let's look at it again. Let this be a warning to you. Auto horns are playthings of the devil. Silence. What does it mean, officer? I don't know, mister. But if I were you, I'd forget I had a horn. You know, Margot, there's something very peculiar about these bombings. Serious explosions, I believe the paper here calls them. There's another one last night. You mean that freighter that blew up in the river? Yes, Lamont, I was reading about it. The paper says they found a note mailed to a nearby dock. Something about silence is the golden token of true peace. Odd. Sounds like some crank. Yes. Odd and sinister. Silence. That word has appeared in every note. Silence. <laughs> the only other clue that has been found at all three bombings is a piece of U-shaped metal. Now, I wonder if... Margot. Yes, Lamont? You know what a tuning fork looks like, don't you? Well, certainly. It's shaped like a U. Exactly. A piece of metal shaped like a U. Look at this picture here in the paper. Divers found that in the hold of the bomb freighter. Yes, it certainly looks like a tuning fork, all right, but I don't see what... Neither do I, Margot. Yet I feel there's a link between the word silence, these tuning forks, and the bombing. Yes. And if there is a link, Margot, I've got a hunch that this city may be in for one of the most terrifying ordeals it has ever experienced. Then you believe there'll be more of these awful bombings? I don't know what to believe, Margot. I don't know what... Non-stop plane to Chicago, now ready at gate four. Non-stop plane to Chicago, now ready at gate four. Goodbye, John. Don't forget to wire me. Bye, dear. See you Thursday. Bye, Mother. Goodbye, son. I hope you have a smooth flight. Shall we go, Mary? Oh, let's wait, Mother. I, I love to watch them take off. John promised to wave from the plane. He's got to sit on this side. Well, just as you say, dear, but I must admit that the roar of those motors always makes me a bit nervous. Extra. Read all about the latest mystery bombing. Note warning silence found at Central Airport. Extra. Extra latest mystery bombing baffled police. Sergeant. 
You say traffic officer O'Grady found this bomb? Yes, Commissioner Weston. It was stuck in a refuse basket. And this note here was pasted on the police phone box next to the basket. Oh, I see it. The roar of traffic is a roar of doom. Silence. 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 That infernal words, but in every note we found. Yes, sir. What's the laboratory report, Sergeant? What explodes the bomb? The bomb's attached to a photoelectric cell. One of these here U-shaped pieces of metal. Uh-huh. I've been finding it all the bombing. I see. Well, how's it work? Well, it's sort of like this, Commissioner. The laboratory says that this U-shaped piece of metal is a tuning fork, an E-flat tuning fork. Yes? Well, this here tuning fork is placed so that when the sound of E-flat vibrates it, it breaks the light beam of the photoelectric cell that's attached to the bomb. And when the light beam is broken, the circuit's closed, the bomb goes off. Uh-huh. I think I see what you mean. Just like just like your body breaks a light beam and opens the doors of some of these new hotels. Yes, sir. Yes, that's the idea. Uh-huh. There were sounds reported just before each of those bombings. The sound of that trumpet. That auto horn and that fog horn and that freighter and the noise of those airplane motors. Yes, sir. They could have done it all right. Whoever thought that one up is dumb, like Einstein. But I, I still don't get these notes, these warnings about silence. There must be some reason why... Oh, I could... Hello, Commissioner Weston speaking. Hello, Commissioner. A shadow. Right you are, Commissioner. Well, what do you want? I'm busy, very busy, and I'm afraid I haven't any time for... I know, Commissioner. Bombings are getting a bit out of hand, aren't they? And I suppose you know all about them. No, not all. If you'll answer a couple of questions, I think I might be able to help you. Well, what is it? These pieces of U-shaped metal you've been finding. Tuning forks, aren't they? How did you know that? Never mind. Aren't they? Yes. Is that what our laboratory calls them? E-flat tuning forks. Hooked up to a photoelectric cell attached to the bomb. When the sound vibrates a fork, it passes in front of the cell's light beam, and that... And that closes the circuit and explodes the bomb. Very neat, eh, Commissioner? Very. Anything else I can do for you? Just one thing more, Commissioner. Yes? Do you realize what all this means? Why, of course I... Each of the notes has contained the word silence. You must broadcast a general warning to the city at once. Use the radio, use the newspapers. Use any means at your command. But warn the people immediately that there must be absolute silence until the murderer is caught. They must not play any musical instruments, blow their auto horns... In fact, they must not do anything to make a loud noise of any kind that might set off another of these tuning fork bombs. For the penalty may be death. That's the end of Act One. While we're waiting for the second act, here's a question I'd like to ask you. What problem facing America today has been called worse than war? The shadow knows. Since 1922, the number of people killed in automobile accidents far exceeds the number of American soldiers who were killed in action or who died of wounds in all of America's six major wars. Play safe. It pays. And remember, motorists, safe motoring begins with safe tires. Don't risk your neck in a skidding accident or blowout accident that may put an end to your driving days. Equip your car now with the new Goodrich Safety Silvertown tire. This new kind of tire is the only tire that gives you the skid protection of the lifesaver tread. Like a battery of windshield wipers, this amazing tread sweeps wet roads dry. So dry that you can light a match on its track. So dry that it gives you the quickest non-skid stops you've ever had. And just as this new Silvertown gives you the greatest skid protection ever offered, it gives you still another feature that for years has saved motorists' lives. 
the famous Golden Fly blowout protection. But remember, to protect yourself against a possible skid or blowout tomorrow, you must act today. You can put these life-saving Goodrich Silvertowns on your car at no extra cost. Hidden in one of these trash baskets. Yeah. Imagine it right here at one of the busiest corners in the city. I tell you, it's enough to give it a creep. It certainly is. Look up the avenue there. Here it is the middle of the day and not a car in sight. Boy, I haven't had my car out of the garage since the police commissioner broadcast that warning. Think of it. He said even a squeaking brake might send you to Kingdom Come. Well, I can tell you, Kingdom Come would be better than this. They don't find the guy that's planting these bombs soon. The whole town's gone off its nuts. You're telling me. I haven't slept in four nights. Awful silence. Like a wet blanket over your face. Day after day, and not a stop. Stop painting that floor, Robert. You're making me so nervous I could scream. <laughs> you nervous. That's good. How about me? I tell you, I can't stand the silence much longer. I tell you, I can't stand... Quiet, Robert. Remember Commissioner Weston's warning. No one knows where the bombs are planted. Even a shout might... I know, I know. Even a shout might be an E-flat. The note of death. That's what they're calling it now. It's silly, isn't it? But what do they call this? This awful tomb we're living in? Quiet, Robert, please. Come on. We're going to get out of this town. Start packing. We're leaving on the first train. I don't know where we're going, but we're going anywhere. Any luck, Margot? No, Lamont. You? None. Commissioner Weston has already checked all the music stores, but I... I still feel he might have overlooked one. Several of the stores I checked had sold tuning forks recently, but only one was an E-flat. And that was purchased by the Board of Education. Beginning to look hopeless, isn't it, Lamont? Not yet, Margot. Not until we've checked every music store in the city. Now, here's the list of stores. We'll separate again. You take these I've marked in the list, and I'll visit the others. Yes, Lamont. We must hurry, Margot. Every minute moves us closer to the next explosion. Ghastly, isn't it? All morning as I walked these deserted streets, I felt like I was moving through some city of the dead. Yes, it's it's like a plague. A plague of silence. But we must be on our way, Marco. It's not a moment to lose. I'll meet you at the Andrews Music Store, the first store we visited this morning. Yes, yes, I know the one. I'll see you there. No, sir. We haven't sold an E-flat tuning fork in months. Is there anything else, sir? Oh, miss. We're wholesale, you see. We only sell to music schools and such. Even they don't buy tuning forks very often. What's that, mister? Tuning forks? Uh, no, we just handle sheet music, radios, and records. Maybe you'd like some sheet music. And uh, what can I do for you, miss? Nothing, thank you. I'm just waiting for someone, if you don't mind. Oh, no, not at all. By the way, weren't you in here this morning? Yes, I was. Yes, I remember you now. You were with a gentleman who wanted to know if we'd sold any tuning forks lately. Yes, that's right. You said you hadn't. Yes, and after you left, I did remember one sale, but that was to one of our regular customers, and it was it was a long time ago. That wouldn't be what you... No. No, I suppose not. No. Dr. Badeau is a very fine man. Fine musician, too. He's bought a number of musical instruments from us. 
course, it did strike me a bit odd. Uh, odd? What was odd? Well, Dr. Bedeau wanting all of those tuning forks for the same pitch. E-flat, I believe it was. E-flat? Yes, but you know how musicians are. Surely you don't... Oh, no, of course not, but I... I suppose I should see this Dr. Bedeau, just for the record, you know. Uh, would you like his address, then? Yes, if you'd be so kind. Yes, yeah, sure, I'll, I'll write it down for you. Dr. Andre Bedeau... 2218 West 9th Street. Well, thank you. And if the gentleman I'm waiting for should arrive while I'm gone, tell him to wait. Uh, yes, yes. His I name will. is Lamont Cranston. If I'm delayed, tell him to meet me at Dr. Bedeau's. Yes? Dr. Bedeau? Yes, that is right. Dr. Bedeau, Doctor of Music, Bachelor of Art. And you, my dear? My name is Margot Lane, Doctor. I'm a voice student. Oh, musician. And so beautiful. <laughs> Do come in. Thank you. This is my studio. Oh, it's charming. You teach here? Oh, no, no. I, I seldom teach, my dear. I'm composer. Great composer. <laughs> Though I'm afraid that is still my own little secret. <laughs> well, then you wouldn't have time for a simple student like myself. No, no, no. On the contrary, my dear. It has always, always been my special pleasure to encourage real talent. Especially beautiful talent. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes, well, that's very nice, but I'm not awfully talented, Monsieur Bedeau. I... I don't really believe you'd be interested. Oh, no, but I have already decided I would be interested. Most interested. <laughs> but first, you are just in time for a treat. A rare treat. Well, I'm afraid I must go now. I just remembered an appointment. You should remember that before you interrupted my work. Now that you are here, you shall remain on until it is my pleasure to dismiss you. But you, you can't do that. Quiet. Sit down. There. I did not ask you to disturb me. But now that you are here, you shall share a secret with me. You like secrets, no? <laughs> Most young women like secrets, but can't keep them. <laughs> I'd rather think you shall keep this one, my dear. Shadow. Shadow. Yeah, what is that? What What did you say? What? Oh, oh, you are wasting your breath, my dear. Really, you are. The studio is soundproof. Completely soundproof. And now for my secret. You, <laughs> you see this beautiful electric organ? Yes. Yes, of course, this but This electric I... organ shall reveal my secret. My greatest composition. I shall play it for you now on this beautiful organ. <laughs> oh, uh, pardon me just a moment, my dear. The door seems to have blown open. Yeah, yeah. The turn of the lock will guard us against such interruption. Don't lock that door. You hear me? Let me out of here. Quiet, quiet. Really, you don't seem to realize what a great honor I am to bestow on you. For you shall be my first... And the last to hear my greatest composition, my symphony of silence no. in E flat. No. Uh, do I frighten you, my child? <laughs> I'm so sorry. But you are my uninvited guest, aren't you? My only guest. <laughs> the lighting is quite poor for shadows, my dear. There are no shadows in my studio. Oh, one thing more. Before I play my symphony for you, you see the black box on that pedestal there? Answer me, do you? Yes. Yes, I see it. That box is my invention. 
It is a bomb, the same as others I have placed about the city. And it shall permit you and me to die. You see, my dear, into the final climax of my symphony, I have written the final climax of life itself. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but enough of this program note. Yeah, let us begin the performance. Yeah. Listen, my dear. Listen to the pale beauty of the whole tone. Truly a feast, isn't it? A feast for just the two of us. <laughs> Three, Dr. Bedeau. Three of us. Shadow, they told you where I was. Three. Three. No, who speaks? I am the shadow. Hey, the shadow? Oh, yes, yes. Of course, my, my inner voice. My shadow. <laughs> the shadow of my poor, weak conscience. <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course, Shadow. The three of us. Yes, yes, that's right. We've had an exciting time lately, haven't we, Bordeaux? You, the master. I, your Shadow. <laughs> Quite exciting, my Shadow. <laughs> and it has led us to victory. Yes, we have at last won our war on noise. The silent city pays tribute to our cause. But why, Bordeaux? Why have we waged this war on the city? Why these bombings? Why this terror? Uh, you forget so soon. Uh, what a poor conscience you are, Shadow. <laughs> but once more, I will tell you. We have been waging the war, the war of wars. The war for peace. For only the true peace is a simple peace of silence. Yes, Bado, but... Quiet, quiet, my conscience. Silence is the only way to fight the unhappiness in the world today. This world of ours with its war, its chaos, its noise. Yes, yes, above all, its noise. How many of our bombs are still unexploded, Bedeau? How many? Three throughout the city, my forgetful shadow. And one here on the pedestal, waiting to play its part in my symphony of silence. Waiting for me to play E-flat. But the three in the city, Bedeau, where did we leave them? Oh, what a poor conscience you are, shadow. <laughs> One's conscience should not forget so often. Yeah, but I, I will forgive you. Don't you remember the one we left in the elevator shaft of the state building? Yes, I remember now. Very clever of us, wasn't it, Bado? <laughs> and another we planted behind the timer's bell in the sports armory. Oh, but of course. How stupid of me to forget. And the third in the grand terminal. Three noisy places, without a doubt. Yeah, but noisy no longer. The city is as silent as a tomb. And so long as it remains silent, so too will the bombs. Yeah, but now, now my symphony reaches its climax. My work is finished. Listen to the compelling beauty of the finale. Hear, hear those whole tones. Marching up, up, up. Yeah. <laughs> of a monster. I, Beto, the greatest of them all. And now, now the final suspension. And, and the final resolution. The finality of my symphony in silence. In each. There they are, Just rest a minute. Everything is all right. But, but the explosion, Lamont. There was no explosion. But Dr. Bedeau, look. Lying there across the keyboard. Is he? Yes. Dead. Quite dead. It was Bedeau's body pressing against the keyboard that caused the rumbling. 
you thought was an explosion. But I, I still don't understand. What happened? All the time I was talking to Bordeaux, I was standing beside the pedestal on which he placed the bomb. When he started to play the organ, I disconnected the photoelectric cell from the bomb, making it harmless. But Bordeaux is dead. Heart failure, my dear Margot. A victim of his own hypnosis. He was so sure that the explosion would occur that it did in his distorted mind. Oh, thank heaven it's all over. Yes, the symphony of silence is over. The terror is ended. Once more, the city can return to its normal life. Once more, its people are safe to work and play, free from the terror that has nearly driven them mad. Yes, and once more, man has learned that there is only one musician who can play the cosmic music of silence and sound. The master musician of them all, the composer of life itself. based on a story copyrighted by The Shadow Magazine. All the characters and all the places named are fictitious. Any similarity to persons living or dead is purely coincidental. The Shadow Magazine is now on sale at your local newsstand.
the shadow knows. <laughs> Bill Johnstone was the shadow upstaged at times by the sound effects crew who got to blow up a few things in Murder in E-flat. The shadow from December 4th, 1938. And you got the word about safe motoring with Goodyear tires. But I'm not sure they can keep your car from blowing up if you're in an episode of The Shadow. Next week, we'll have more and Christmas is in the air. Join me then for more excursions in sound, some for the season. I'm Norman Gilliland. This is Skywave Audio Theater. <laughs>